Talk Recorded live. Welcome to Mr. Podcast with Claude and Justin. Uh, today we're talking about uh, Inception. Uh, maybe you've heard of it. Um, the little known indie feature um, <laughs> that's playing at art house theaters uh, in one or two places across the country. Um, you know. Anyway, uh, yeah, Christopher Nolan's new big blockbuster. Um, I don't. I don't think it needs much of an introduction. More than that, uh, people have heard of it by now, and uh, have probably seen it. Uh, so we're going to talk about talk about it, and uh, you know, sort of get a general take on it, and uh, maybe get into some questions or discrepancies if there are any. Uh, and yeah, so. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll let just you throw start. out like spoiler alert. We really oh, could. Yeah. We really could just throw out some. We kind will of... be talking about all the major scenes. So if you haven't seen the movie, you probably don't want to listen to this. Yeah, yeah, because I think if you're really going to talk about the movie seriously, you you really can't not spoil it. Yeah. So you know that's just you know go see it first. If you're interested, you know who you are. Check it out. Check it out. I would say you know. If you like action movies, you know, if you like um uh movies, you know, uh movies about dreams or movies about uh reality, stuff like that, you know, I th- I think it's overall a just very well done movie. So if you just want to see a solid movie, you know, you're like everything I watch sucks, you want to see something that's just sort of a good movie. I think it'd be worth your time even if you're not explicitly interested or intrinsically interested in the subject matter. Um, you know, the actors are good, uh, too, so if you like any of the actors, they, they do a great job. Yes. So, um, I really love the film, you know, it, it's, it speaks to me in a lot of personal things that I like about movies and like about, uh, the subject matter. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, I, I was a fairly big fan of Christopher Nolan before this movie. I'm a bigger fan now after having seen it. And as a writer, studying the movie it has been pretty interesting because it's just it's a just a well written, well put together movie, and and then translating that into uh, into a film is another sort of bit of genius too. So, uh, you know, I it's sort of a general rating. I'd give it I'd give it nine out of ten. Okay. Um, yeah, I I mean I basically agree with what you just said. Um, uh although my rating would be a little lower just because um you know for me for me there's certain elements that i don't know if it's writing or or acting i don't know what level you know it's not working but i i think i think the characters aren't that strong there's only a couple characters that really make an impact and even those i think just aren't aren't that strong and and it's really the premise and the the world the ideas in the movie that are uh, the most interesting and, and, and probably the best part of uh, the movie for me. Uh, so I, I think on that alone, uh, you know, it gets a pretty high rating. It's it's more interesting than most movies you see. So, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of, like, giving you something to think about, you know, uh, it really holds up to, like, thinking about the ramifications of what you see. And, and uh, you know, and that's a good quality. I think... I think it's just there there's a certain um uh there there's just there's just a certain disconnection from the whole thing and all it felt a bit cold to me and 
And so I, so I didn't really get into it as much as I might have liked to um, for it to, like, bump up to, you know, like a nine or something. But I give it about a seven. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I mean, I'll ditto you and say I sort of agree with pretty much what you said. And I, I would throw this out there. I, 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 wouldn't, I won't say this is necessarily true, but I would, I would contend that a movie with, with a big premise and a huge concept is going to have a less, less focus on the characters. Uh, and having and having especially an ensemble cast be totally rail rounded, sort of yeah. equally or three dimensional. And if I can just say, probably your part, your you know definitely your favorite film, Pulp Fiction. Uh, not a very big premise film, but then you have all of these characters who are who are definitely interesting and great. And uh, you know, there's a lot there. So yeah. I think there is a balance and a trade off uh, that doesn't sort of excuse anything. But I think that that should be noted that. I, I can't think of a, a big premise movie that that satisfies the premise and then has characters who who are 100% like, you know, what you'd want from them. Because I, I will say a lot of the characters in Inception, the, the sort of secondary tier characters, uh, I like them. I think they do a good job. Their, their function is interesting, you know, but you don't get to know a lot about them. They're just there sort of mainly to do the job. I think that's really just, uh, you know, that's a result of this basically being a heist film. Yeah. You know, that is the that is the tool that Nolan has used to tell this story. He could have told, he could have used other tools. You know, he could have used other other story uh, elements to to make that work. He chose yeah. a heist film. How many heist films do, do you get to really know the characters very deeply? I, you know, I can't say a lot of them. Not that many. Uh, Not yeah. That many. So I think that's you know, and I, I've heard him talk about heist films and how. You know, um, it's one of the few genres where exposition is part of the entertainment, you know, and where the characters are really just sort of there to serve that function of I'm the safe cracker and mm-hmm. I'm the, you know, I'm the lookout guy or yeah. I'm the, you know, I'm the, I'm the getaway driver and I'm right. really good at this because, you know, you might find out the getaway driver is a former race car driver or something mm-hmm. or he's got X, Y, Z skills or something. But, you know, you're, you're not going to get too detailed because the point of the movie is the heist. And right. not the characters. So, I'll, I'll, you know, I think that's that's worth saying. But I think that that explains why, you know, um, yeah, why it's like that. But I can see if you, you know, if you want a lot more from the characters, you're not going to get too much. Other than I think, you know, Leo, Leo DiCaprio's character Cobb, and then his wife's character. Uh, I think it's is it Marie Marie Cotard. Uh, Colliard? I forgot her name. Uh, Cotillard. Uh, Cotillard. There it is. The two things I said. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, she plays Maul. And so, the you know, those are supposed to be the two characters I think you're supposed to invest in more than anybody else. And because it's really sort of at the heart of the movie, it's a love story. It's a love story that spins into a heist, really. If you think about the movie uh, chronologically, um, it's the beginning of the story is, is, uh, Cobb and Maul, uh, sort of, you know, having their fun and, and, and the dream sharing world and then going deeper and deeper until the, until they get too deep to, to come back out. And then sort of, you know, he, he basically, uh, puts this, uh, you know, incepts this idea into her mind that she needs to kill herself in order to, 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 well, she, the first part of that inception is that, you know, the world she's in is not rea- is not reality. She's actually dreaming, and the second part of that is the only way to get out of the dream is to kill yourself. And then, of course, that spirals 
uh, as the movie shows that it, it, it uh, that idea stays with her when she wakes up in the real world, and then she, of course, doesn't think she's in the real world and kills herself, and so that creates that creates the reason that Cobb is sort of on the run in the first place, and and puts him in the situation to even begin a heist. So. So and then of course the end of the movie is him trying to reconcile the, the guilt and and his feelings for her, and then uh, and all that. So the beginning and ending story points is really sort of the love the love story, you know. And the heist film is sort of on top of that. Yes. Yeah, I think that that's where the center of gravity of the uh, of your investment in the movie is supposed to be. It's it's mm-hmm. I think you're 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 in there with Leo and. Uh, and and you're watching the heist, but the heist becomes the occasion for him to deal with his own problems. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so and and that then that I think that's what has probably the most weight of anything in the movie. Yeah. Number, yeah, that's definitely number one. Number two is probably um, uh, Killian Murphy's bit uh, about yeah. his dad. I think that yeah. you know that it's not extremely fleshed out, but it definitely gets. It definitely gets a significant amount of development. And thank you for saying Killian because I I, I always say Cillian, and then I heard I thought I, saw, I think I saw an interview or somebody talk about him, and they said Killian. I'm like, oh, you British people, <laughs> jeez, I just, I know. we can't we can't get it right over here in America, can we? I have the same experience. I said Cillian, and I heard a number of people say Killian, and I thought they were wrong, and I looked it mm-hmm. up on Wikipedia, and yeah. according to Wikipedia, you're supposed to say it with a hard. K, so yeah, because in America we just spell it with a K and be done with it. Yeah, but, uh, or maybe we wouldn't. I don't know. <laughs> we like yeah. our crazy stuff too. So. It's true. It's true. I think yeah, it really does look like Cillian, but I, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I say at least it's not an S, and we're supposed to pronounce yeah. like a K. I think. Yeah. I don't think as long as it's not that crazy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think anyone would want to do that. Uh, yeah, I think I think Killian Murphy, Killian Murphy's uh, uh, he's 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 number two in, on the emotional story uh, story level. And uh, it's interesting because he's the bank that gets robbed. Mm-hmm. But like the bank, it's like if somehow the bank getting robbed was good for the bank. It's almost like I guess in a, in like Inside Man or another another traditional heist film, a bank robbery film, it'd be more like the bank owner or manager somehow benefiting from the bank getting yeah. robbed. You I guess know? That's, maybe that's maybe like, that's like he, he's been doing this job for a while or something and he's, you know, he's not because his dad owned that bank. And then he realizes after the bank gets robbed that he needs to go do his own thing. You right. know, he, he shouldn't just keep running that bank. He should split the bank up or something. Yeah. I guess that's the, that's the, uh, the the mirror image of that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is which is an odd odd little bit to throw in there. I have read in multiple places that he originally conceived of this as a horror movie, which mm-hmm. I would probably prefer to see that. Mm-hmm. I, I I feel like the concept um, of shared dreaming and architect you know building dreams worlds for people is really rich and. Uh, has great potential for, you know, all kinds of stuff that um, isn't really realized in the movie. And I, I think, you know, just on a, just, you know, my own taste, I just, I just prefer, uh, I prefer to watch a horror movie uh, than, than a heist movie. So, mm-hmm. you know, or an action movie for that. Cause it's kind of heist action, you know, it's not a, um, yeah. it's not overly like, 
Um, wow, I was about to say it's not overly technical. I guess it is, but it's uh, it's uh, a lot of the focus is on is on you know guys with guns shooting at them and and them shooting back and you know a lot mm-hmm. of heist movies is more like once they get in the bank you know they have to do like smaller tasks you know so I think I think it's it's uh, it's it's sort of halfway between heist and action but structurally it's definitely a heist movie. Mm-hmm. I would say probably my favorite heist movie is Reservoir Dogs, uh, where the gimmick is uh, it's not about the heist. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, number two is uh, is probably uh, is probably Heist, the David Mamet movie. Yeah, uh, which is uh, which is which does at least show you the heist. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but it's really not about the heist once again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess in this movie it's also not about the I, heist. I, yeah, this isn't really about the heist either. And I would say with Reservoir Dogs, like, is it a heist movie if you don't see a heist? <laughs> <laughs> you know, like I. <laughs> I, that's up for the viewer to decide, I think. But I mean, uh, you do have the because a heist the movie, you know, technically speaking, has certain conventions that you yeah. see, you know, an in inception that that uh, I don't think you necessarily see in Reservoir Dogs. It's a it's a movie about a heist. Yeah, I don't know if that means it's a heist movie. <laughs> I think I think it's. I mean, it is told out of sequence. That's probably the most unconventional thing about it. But mm-hmm. I think if you play the scenes, you know, it does have most of the usual high scenes the i guess the difference is it lives mostly in the aftermath yeah which which most heist movies don't do yeah but if you actually Uh, thought a heist it would be a heist movie yeah i think that's an integral part to a heist movie that's like a romantic (laughs) comedy being not romantic or not funny or something before we leave jennifer aniston movies out of this um, oh, oh. Ouch! Ouch! Oh, really? That was just really? totally unnecessary. Yeah, it was either her or the tea party, <laughs> so you know I had to do one or the other. Fair enough. Um, <laughs> it's good. You know the tea party's taken a lot from you on this particular podcast. Yeah, don't get some more. Uh, I, I know they will. So <laughs> I'm yeah. not done with them. Don't get happy. Jennifer Aniston is not going to take you forever. No. Um. Okay, so Inception. Um, right, Inception, Inception, Inception. So we, we unfortunately did a little pre-podcasting about this, so there's probably some things we, we have already said that is not coming to mind because we already said them. But uh, Yeah. Uh, but in general, let me, the, I guess let's talk about some other things we liked about the movie, and then we can get into some stuff we didn't like maybe. or uh, For me, that'll be a, a, you know, a very short segment, I guess. Mm-hmm. But uh, It'll be a longer segment um, for me, maybe. Yeah, but that'll give me a lot of things to tell you how you're wrong. So. Right, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> nope, you're wrong because Stay it is. They tend to find out how I'm wrong. Yeah, exactly. That'll be that segment, how Justin's wrong. <laughs> um, so other things I liked about the movie. Um, let me think. You know, of course, visually, I mean, the, the filmmaking, you know, A+, plus, right? I mean, I, I can't say anything bad about the filmmaking, how anything looked, how any of the action took place. I mean, um, so many so many cool little sequences, uh, and a lot of the dream worlds looked really interesting. You know, but in general, I like the setup of the story. I, you know, again, it's a heist movie, so it's got these sort of conventions of explaining the world that they're dealing with. You know, it's basically explaining the bank robbery and then setting up uh, which characters are are good for which roles, and and then using those uh, characters. Pretty much every act, every main actor, I really like from something else. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, Tom Hardy, 
you know, um, I, I've seen some other stuff I really love. Uh, Killian Murphy, he's he's pretty high on my list. I've never really seen him be bad at anything. He's not he's not on my list of like I'll watch anything you're in. Uh, I that think, guy's got a crazy face. He's got a very interesting face. He's he's yeah uh, yeah I don't I don't know what it is, but he's he's got an interesting face. I, um, yeah, when I there was a couple of shots in the I was like, wow, man, that guy's face is. Uh, I, I just, mm-hmm. I, I, you don't see a lot of people that look like that. That's all I'm saying. I'm not saying he looks like horrible or anything, but it's just really, really strange. I think he has a, I think he has a strange. He's his face to me has a has a feminine quality to it, mm-hmm. but but not sort of explicitly because he doesn't look feminine, obviously. Right. But but there's something with his eyes or something with cheekbones or something that he's got sort of a soft look but at the same time it's he's got sort of a classic sort of handsome man look too right so he's worked he's got he's got some some interesting qualities yeah 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 i think i think that's right it's some weird mixture of things that i've seen and i'm just mm-hmm. not used to that combination yeah but uh yeah no he was uh he was quite good um uh, you know the part. The part isn't super super developed, but I think for what he gets to do, you know, it's it's as good as he could have done. Yeah. I think as far as like directing, I, I don't really. It's hard for me to know what to chalk up to directing, but I'll just say the only thing that kind of really didn't work for me in the movie was the uh, a lot of the uh, business with the uh, ice fortress. Uh, mm-hmm. I found that to be kind of tedious. Didn't really like that set up very much and unfortunately that's where a lot of the uh you know ultimate uh goals are so yeah i think i think most people that i have seen or talked to about it uh, that that's sort of their least favorite dream world it's my least favorite dream world um i i like the way it looks i mean i like the idea of it i like the the sort of you know i think it's supposed to be a hospital because <laughs> i remember them really? saying something about a hospital maybe i'm confused but i i remember them saying something about unless they're talking about the the very end scene where the where killian murphy's dad is in that is in the safe room but he's got like his hospital bed they're, they're, before they go into that world they talk about they talk about going to a hospital and then they go to the, the snow fortress level. Um, so I, I'm a little confused about that, but, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I like the idea of this, this secret place, it, you know, the, the sort of Fort Knox in his mind is, is this fortress and they sort of have to, um, uh, you know, uh, break into it and all this stuff. Uh, there, my, I guess we're into the part we didn't like somehow, but the, you know, I, <laughs> I, I did like, <laughs> I only brought it up because you were talking about the directing, and I guess I felt like the oh. way some of those action bits were directed was kind of boring. I think I think there was a lot of superfluous action in that scene. There's a lot of uh, Tom Hardy killing a lot of people and and doing a lot yeah. of stuff, and and it it it, it filled time between all the other parallel action going on, but um, it wasn't. It definitely was the least interesting, probably the least interesting about the movie overall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm like, I, I do. I do agree that like in concept, it seems like it'd be cool. I could imagine talking about that and like this is going to be awesome. It's sort of, it's mm-hmm. the ultimate dream world that's really designed. You know that we see. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and so I, I, I expect it to be the apotheosis of everything we've seen, and and it has that potential. It just it never really gets there. It's well, and that's the thing. It could have been anything, you know. I think um, it's all up to the architect to design it. So it could have been more interesting if the architect designed something more interesting. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like the the dream worlds themselves you know, predicate, predicate what's going to happen. It's really the architect that decides. So yeah. it could have been worse than that. I don't know. It could have been a desert or something. Or <laughs> It could have. Or, but, you know, yeah. I mean, that's like the in-movie thing. But, you know, they're writing this. They can make it as interesting or uninteresting as they want. Mm-hmm. You know, they can say yeah. the architect did X, Y, or Z with, you know, and that, I feel like that's their the writers, I mean, opportunity to, you know, but I, I maybe limbo is supposed to be that more so. I, I think limbo is supposed to be way more interesting. Yeah. 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 And that's obviously why I spent a lot of time with the visual yeah. effects. Yeah. Right. I, I, okay. I was supposed to say what I liked about the movie. Uh, I liked the first part of the movie uh, when when you don't know what you're watching. Uh, mm-hmm. I generally speaking don't like the framing device where they show you uh, a much later part of the story and then cut back to the beginning and then eventually catch up. I mm-hmm. normally find that that sort of takes tension away because you know what your end point is. And yeah. I, I usually don't want to know that. A couple of times it worked. In this case, I think it works mainly because they use it to throw you off because they cut from, you know, they cut from this scene that we're going to see later to uh, the same building sort of, but they're younger all of a sudden and, uh, and it's it's a completely different you know point in time, but it's the same place. So it it mm-hmm. it sort of throws you off. Like, okay, what just happened? Like, did they just did they just turn younger all of a sudden? Like, you don't really know where you are. You know, I, you know the, yeah, in the beginning of the movie, I really like too. And I but I I do think it's very sort of confusing. I mean, I, I've seen the movie three times at this point. I obviously know what's going on, and you know you've seen it. You you can you know you know what's going on too, but. It's it's definitely confusing to go from the first scene, which is really chronologically the the one of the last scenes, yeah, and then the second scene when they're in the same that big grand dining hall, Saito's dining hall, but they're younger. Uh, well, Leo looks the same, but Saito looks Saito is younger, right? Uh, Sato, Saito, I don't know how to pronounce uh, it, and yeah. um, and that's really that's really sort of the first scene chronologically. Well. Chronologically, in terms of the heist, of course, chronologically, the first scene in the movie should be like uh, Leo and, uh, or I should say, Cobb and Maul doing their dream stuff with Inception originally. Uh, the original Inception predates all that, all that stuff. Yeah, but um, but in terms of but those are like the plot of the movie. Sort of. Well, I'm just saying, if you put everything in chronological order, yeah. that would be first. Yeah, 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 yeah. But in terms of the the story of the movie, the heist, the the first real scene is. Is uh, is Saito and Cobb, and then um, yeah. I forgot the guy's name, Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character. Right. They're Arthur, all talking about I this. Think. So to cut from the first scene to to now this scene, and then to cut yeah. from the next scene, which is sort of realizing that they're dreaming, and then to cut to and, and then you sort of in that next scene, you know, there's sort of another level of dreaming too, right off yeah. the bat. So the opening of the movie is really confusing, I think. You know, more obviously it gets straightened out and you can kind of piece together what happened. But, yeah, when you're first watching it, it's like, huh, what? Oh, okay, huh? You know? And luckily you forget some of the stuff because I think by the time you get back to the first scene, you've forgotten what was going on there. And you go, 
Oh, okay, yeah, he's, that's right, this was in the beginning, and what was he doing? Oh, this is what he was doing, you know. Mm-hmm, um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, the whole movie, I was waiting for that, to, like, I sort of realized what they were doing. I, I just, for me, it was enjoyable to have no idea what was going on, and mm-hmm. to try to follow, because then they cut to the apartment, and it's like, oh, okay, they're all dreaming, but it's like, no, they're still dreaming. Mm-hmm. And so they introduced both, like, the basic idea of shared dreams and, arch- you know, built dreams and uh, and also, you know, uh, layered uh, dreams, you know, on yeah. top of themselves. You know, they, they give you both simultaneously. And I just love, like, in, in, the, in the apartment when, like, everybody outside is, like, rioting. And you have mm-hmm. no idea why. And it's like, what the yeah. fuck is going on? Like, what kind of movie is this? And I'm thinking, is this set in some kind of post-apocalyptic world You do, you do wonder, are they in some country where they're yeah. overthrowing their government? Are they, you know, why? And it seems like they're coming for them. Why yeah. are they coming for them? And, yeah. You know, Nolan is great about... Having the having the audience uh, ask questions and 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 coming you know what and being aware of what questions the audience is asking and when and and that's one of the questions you ask is okay well what's going on with these people and then of course they answer that later you know these are projections from their conscious uh, from their subconscious and um, and uh, you know they're there because those people are um, are sort of not supposed to be there in that dream right world, so yeah it's the subconscious. Uh... Drones revolting, mm-hmm. I, I, but it you know when you, when you just walk into the movie and you don't know that it's mm-hmm. it's really cool to just be presented with this stuff and to have to like try to understand what they're showing you, yeah. You know? And eventually you realize that it clicks into place. But I think just the experience of going through that was was great, you know. Yeah. Um, it would probably be different. I only saw it once. It would probably be different if I saw it again. I don't know. I don't know how I'd feel about all that stuff once I sort of know the answer in advance. Mm-hmm. You know, but uh, but on the first viewing, it, that stuff works really well. And I definitely at that point thought, you know, this this could be great. This is a great start. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I, I, it just it it uh, it gives you a taste of what you're in for, and it and it tells you things, you know, right away about yeah. what kind of story you're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah. No, a great setup. Definitely a great setup. And I, you know, I like the the sort of end scene being at the beginning, Leo going and going up to Saito. Um, yeah. It, it, yeah. I like I like that he, he put that first. I, I like the way they used it here. And I, yeah. I feel like you need to have a reason to do that. And I think in this movie, it, it, the, the main reason that does it for me is it's totally disorienting. Mm-hmm. And I, and I just like that. I, I, I like, I like that he's willing to just totally throw you off. Yeah. You know, by showing you that thing, which actually has nothing to do with the next scene, but yet there's a huge similarity between the two scenes, and so you think they must have something to do with each other. Mm-hmm. And there must be some like direct, like relationship between the two, but there really isn't. It's that's much later. Yeah. You know, but you see it first. So anyway, yeah, I just I think in this case it it was a good move because it paid off. Mm-hmm. You know, in general, I feel like it's it's just kind of a teaser. It's kind of like at the beginning of Battlestar Galactica, when they just show you a montage of stuff from the episode, I, I never liked watching that stuff. I don't want to see, you know, I don't want to see stuff from later on in advance. Yeah. Well, and I think it's another another example of Nolan 
making the audience ask a question and keeping that question in their minds the whole time of, okay, well, he's supposed to go something with this guy. He's supposed yeah. to wind up in, you know, how is that going to come into play? And so you're asking yourself that the whole time of how is that first scene going to pay off? Yes. Yeah. Once he got shot, I I guessed that that would lead to him being in limbo and then uh, Leonardo having to go after him. Mm-hmm. That was that was the point where I where I sort of guessed what how they would end up there because the whole movie I was trying to because I knew that you know once I figured out what they were doing with that opening scene I I knew we were going to lead to that. Yeah, totally. Um, but it's nice. Like cool? I guess like ultimate if I were going to compare this to something, I I would say this is this is a movie for me like The Matrix or. Terminator 2, um, where it's it's mostly it works on a surface level. You know, there's I think if you just want a really interesting action movie to watch, it's there, but it's got, you know, it does more than it needs to to succeed as an action movie. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, like, it's like a fantastic action heist movie. You know, yeah. I, I think, you know, if you go in with that kind of expectation in mind, you really can't be let down. Yeah. Now, if you go in expecting 2001, <laughs> I think mm-hmm. I think you will be let down. It's really not anywhere anything like 2001. I hope no one says it is. I've heard, I've seen people say that it is. Well, people are idiots. So. And I've seen people say, you know, somehow this guy's like Kubrick or something. I don't really see any of that, but I, I think it's it's as far as like action movies or heist movies go, it's it's really interesting. It frames it in a way that you know uh, that that is just much more engaging than a run of the mill heist movie. Yeah. You know. You know, you'll you'll. Oh yeah, probably... give you something to think about. It's you know a yeah. heist movie for adults or something. You know, exactly. It's, uh, it's it's a lot more interesting than your average action movie, and um, and you know it, it taps into something that everyone can uh, can identify with. You know, and and ha- can experience. I, I really like that about the movie too. Everyone dreams, whether you remember your dreams or not, and uh, people have experiences with their dreams and understand how that whole thing works, and uh, it's just I think it just inherently interesting concept too so yeah it's got a lot going for it um i also really like you know uh the character stuff i like you know Cobb's whole thing of uh his whole backstory with his wife i thought that was really well done uh you know the fact that you know this you know obviously mall becomes a problem for him and what and his job and uh He's sort of trying to keep it under wraps, and it, he, you know, but then of course the stakes get higher, and it's harder and harder to keep to keep them all under wraps, and uh, and then you have Ariadne's character come in and sort of see through all that and see sort of to the core of his problem, uh, and and realize it's going to be a problem uh, for what they're trying to do. So I thought that was interesting, uh, but yeah, I I really enjoyed the fact that it 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 and it was an action movie that had heart, you know, I thought, you know, like I said before, I mean, the, the, the impetus of the, of, of everything is this love story and this lost love and all that stuff. And, um, and I, I, I enjoy how that plays out. I enjoy, you know, sort of the last scene where he explains them all, you know, in purgatory, purgatory and limbo. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, wrong show, wrong show. Uh, (laughs) Got to get my metaphysical locations right. Uh, 
where he, you know, he explains to her that, you know, I, I just like how he resolves the conflict of the guilt with his wife, uh, because about his wife, because, um, you know, he explains to Maul, who is obviously not really Maul, it's not really his wife, it's just his projection of her, but he explains that, you know, he and his wife did spend a lifetime together. You know, that was sort of the guilt that Maul kept uh, kept showing him was, you know, you need to be with me, I want you with me, I want you with me. Basically, it was sort of a selfish thing, but she wanted them to be together, you know, and so he was able to explain to her, well, we did have 50 years together because of this craziness of this dream sharing and the fact that they got sort of stuck in and limbo. So really, I thought that was sort of a genius bit uh, on, you know, like you say, you know, it's, uh, the movie is better than it has to be. I think that part of the love story and that part of the conflict resolution is better than it has to be that you can say in the, in the, in the surface level of what we're watching in the movie, you know, they don't end up together in the end, of course, cause she's dead, but they don't end up together in the end, but it's really, it's really sort of, uh, you know, because of the fact that he realizes that they did actually spend a lifetime together. And so you kind of get that satisfaction of they did, you know, kind of having your cake and eating it too, in a way, you know, of saying, Hey, you know, we, we, we got, you know, the love story is in check. We, we got, we had our thing and we had a good time and now that's over. So I'm going to let you go now so I can try to go back to the real world. Yeah. You know, so I thought that was another bit of like, you know, cherry, uh, a cherry on the cake. Yeah. I agree that it was better than it has than it had to be. Uh, it, it it wasn't. I didn't totally love it, but it it, it worked. I mean, that, it it was uh, um, it was interesting. I like I like the idea. Again, I always find myself saying I like ideas in this movie. Sometimes the execution I don't like as much as the idea itself. But mm-hmm. I like the idea of this guy who's like got this problem and it's sort of haunting his subconscious. And because of the way he works, that, you know, that problem sort of haunts him while he's doing his work, mm-hmm. you know, like literally shows up and tries to sabotage like, yeah. what he's doing. I mean, that's just, that's a great idea, mm-hmm. you know, cause it, it like just makes literal, you know, normally in a movie, that kind of thing is, is metaphorical, He'd be walking around with the guilt. He might yeah. be drinking. He might yeah. it might manifest itself in some way, but not this way. You know, not right. in this dream world way. Yeah. Yeah, where she actually shows up, and you know, she, it's it's great. They, you know, they play her sort of like a femme fatale kind of character, and I I, I like the way they shot her. You know, um, you know when when she's when she's the bad guy sort of in the dreams, you know, and when they show mm-hmm. her in the beginning, it's great. You know, you don't know who she is. You don't know what's going on. And she just walks away from the chair and like sabotages his, his plan. And, uh, and, and you don't, you just have no idea who you're doing with, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, and, and the, um, what's her name of blazer really, uh, uh, really conveys a sense of uh, interest. You know, you you, you want to know what's up with her. Yeah. You know, and I definitely I when Ellen Page starts digging into um, Leonardo's like mind because she realizes this could be a problem. You know, I think for me at least, I you know I wanted to know too what what was going on. So mm-hmm. it worked, and they definitely did not pull a lost in that when they get on that elevator. And she's like, what's in the basement? I'm thinking, we're not going to see what's in the basement for like an hour or something. Mm-hmm. But then she immediately runs in there and goes to yeah. the basement. Yeah. 
I was like, oh, wow, they're really not holding that out at all. You know, and I think that's the kind of thing that if I had a list of things that I, not that I don't like, but that I question, it's it's her tenacity in, in terms of figuring out what's up with Ka. I, I think it works. That's, just, that's her character. I can buy that. But it's, it is, you know, in that scene where she's like, what's in the basement? He's like, yeah, you don't need to see that. And she just runs and goes and does it. I'm like, God damn you, what are you doing? Like, he obviously did want you to see this thing, you know. Who are you to go and do this? But... You know, that's part of her character that she's that she's like that. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's a little, you know, they don't ever tell you. Another thing I kind of like about the movie is is how they, they set certain things up and roll with them, and they don't get too deep into it. You know, why is she so great at, at, at being an architect for dreams? Well, because they said she was. <laughs> you know, Michael Caine says she she's better than Cobb, and we yeah. go along with that, and, you know, then she gets into the dream world the first time with Cobb, and she does some pretty cool stuff. He's impressed, so that validates this idea that she's good at it. Yeah. Uh, but, of course, she doesn't know everything. He's still got to teach her stuff. But, um, you know, she's more perceptive and more um, understanding of certain things than he is, in a way, very, very quickly. And, you know, part of me goes, wait a minute, that's a little unbelievable, but I, but I still just roll with it, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really think – she, uh, she's just kind of, she was a flat character to me. I didn't really care about her very much, but I, I think she, one of her big roles is she doesn't necessarily know everything, so she gets stuff explained to her. That's, mm-hmm. And then the other big role is she gets invested in what's going on with Leonardo DiCaprio's character, so that's, again, our vehicle for finding that out, because he's basically keeping it bottled in. Mm-hmm. You know, so so you need some sort of character to act as a catalyst for him to actually face the problem. You know, yeah. so, so I think she she serves those functions. And like I said, I wanted to know what was in the basement. So so mm-hmm. I was cool that she did that. But at the same time, yeah, as far as like her character, that was a crappy thing to do. Yeah. Of course, once I found out, I was like, well, maybe I didn't really need to know what was in the basement. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I was like, okay, basement, come on, let's go, I'm ready. Yeah. So, uh, all right, let me, uh, let, me throw out, uh, let me throw out one thing about the movie that I don't, I don't understand. I'm not, okay. saying, I'm not even saying this is bad, I'm just saying I don't get it. Okay. So, here it is. It's Limbo. I don't understand Limbo. You're wrong. Go. <laughs> so uh, I'll get more specific about what I don't understand. So at okay. some point, I don't know. Is it four layers down? Is it spe- is it that specific? If you if you dream four levels deep and then uh, die or something, you go to limbo. Is that or your understanding? So, so this is my this is my after seeing the movie a couple of times. This is what I gather about limbo. I think there's there's basically two main ideas, right? There's the first idea that you get to limbo if you are heavily, heavily, heavily sedated, not normally dreaming, not using the dream share system normally, but heavily sedated and die, you will go to limbo because basically you're, con- you're, you know, you're, you're in the subconscious world and it can't basically, you can't basically wake up and so somehow you're, you're, you, you, instead of your consciousness, which is in this 
dream world, instead of it sort of going up to reality and waking up, it goes down to into your subconscious. So you get to, that's what limbo is. It's basically your consciousness in your subconscious or something like that. Because he he sort of describes limbo. We know with his wife, he says, you know, we we wash up on the shore of our subconscious or something like that. So. So that's the first way you get there. That's the main part of the movie is you get there by being uh, unusually sedated and getting killed. Number two way to get there, and we saw them do it in the movie, and we saw Cobb, and that's how Cobb and his wife got there, which was to go down level after level, dreams within dreams, and it does seem like level four is tantamount to limbo. Okay, okay. Now, there's... True or false, there's only one limbo, and somehow it's the same limbo for everybody. Okay, so the explanation of that is he, and I'll say this because this is the segment. One of the things I love about the movie, one of the best things I love about the movie is how how the details are there for any question someone has asked me, I've been able to answer it. And I, I, I kind of hope you ask me something I can't answer, <laughs> but <laughs> you know, reasonably, obviously I don't have all the answers, but I'm just saying reasonably answer questions. So right, the answers, right. I was just the thinking an- of some ridiculous question I could ask you that you wouldn't know the yeah, answer to. Yeah, exactly. I just, I just mean reasonable questions and, and have having reasonable answers. Okay. Um, in term, what was the question? The question is, oh. uh, true or false, so what, the same what limbo Leo for everybody. Says, I think he's talking to Ariadne, and this is maybe before before they go to limbo or something. I forget when in the movie. But he basically says the only thing left in limbo will be the stuff that was created by whoever was there first. And I actually feel like she's talking when she says this or something. Or some, somehow, I feel like she's in the scene because I remember her voice. And she basically says Cobb was there before. So that's why all of this stuff Cobb and his wife had created. Because remember, limbo takes place is not this abstract place outside of you. It's in your mind. It's your subconscious. It's the dream world of your subconscious, basically, of the deepest level of your subconscious, maybe I should say. When he and his wife went, and, and again, this is a shared dream, so they're, they're going to be interacting with the, sub, with the dreamer subconscious. So, so if it's Cobb's dream and he brings his wife into it, I, which is, I guess, sort of maybe the scenario – of the backstory, um, then the stuff that they create together in in his in that limbo will be will will be cemented in his in, in his mind in his subconscious, so that later in the movie when they go back to limbo, that stuff is still there because you know Cobb's subconscious is of course connected to the dream share machine, so that's why that stuff is there in limbo at the end because it's it was left over from when he was there before. Okay. So, all right. And the reason the other people see it is because he's there. Exactly. If he if he wasn't hooked up to the dream share machine, if he hadn't gone in with them and they went to limbo, it would have been, I don't know what, blank. It would have been whatever Cobb and his wife saw when they got to limbo for the first time. I, You know, we never saw what that was. Okay. So if, if, uh, so basically none of the other characters had been to limbo before. And, yes. And if they had, then their stuff would have been there too, and combined in some way. Sure. 
I mean, I mean, this, the same way that you have, you know, you have a dreamer and then you have the participants who share that dream bring in their own subconscious, bring in their own projections. It's the same way with limbo, where limbo is just another dream world that, that was created. And if somebody enters that dream, like, like at the end, like Saito, I think, is, is somehow in Cobb's limbo. You know, it's, you know he, he washes up on the beach just like everyone who goes to limbo washes up on the beach. And I think because Saito has sort of been living there for whatever period of time in, in that, you know, in that, in that state of consciousness, uh, in that dream level, you know, he's an old man by the time we see him again. Um, you know, he's, he's, he, he has, he has that house or that mansion or whatever. And then of course that room that we saw before the grand dining hall is, is the same one that he had in the, in the first part of the movie when he was younger. Right. That is something I think he brought in there. So I think, yeah, I think it would be some sort of combination of the two, uh, because you know people are, are are bringing in their own parts of their subconscious when they when they're sharing dreams. Okay, okay. So I mean, yeah. So is limbo a specific place, or is it actually just the fourth level of dreams within dreams? Like, okay, let me. Yeah. As a hypothetical scenario, like a completely different group of characters gets together and you know, does what this group of characters did to end mm-hmm. up in limbo. Okay. They don't see the same stuff, right? They don't see no. the, the stuff that Leo built. and They would not see that at all. Okay. Because that is, that, that is in his mind and for all intents and purposes is, is a physical part of his mind. Whatever neurochemical, electrical, you know, uh, uh, physical properties – that is responsible for dreams and the storage of dreams and stuff like that. I mean, that is intrinsic to his mind. So if his mind is not uh, part hooked up to, a, to that system, you're not going to have access to it. Okay. Okay. Now, again, uh, yeah. So just, just back to the original point. I mean, I guess they wanted like, they didn't want to say it's dreams all the way down, but like if you fall asleep and have a dream in limbo, <laughs> like what happens? <laughs> Like you, you know, like if you what now? If you fall asleep and have a dream in limbo, what do you? How how do you have a dream in limbo? Same way you have a dream in any of the other places. You fall asleep and well, you you could induce that's it. That's not how limbo works, though. See, that, I think that's the that's the key difference. Is limbo is okay, but why? So why, why, why is there's limbo there? There's a couple things I want to say about this. So number one is. To answer your first question, yes, it does seem like limbo is the fourth level down. And I, I, I want to imagine that there is a limit to the amount of levels you can dream. That I mean, I guess, you know, there's a lot of infinite qualities of our realities and the universe and stuff, but, uh, and especially in the mind, you know. But, but it seems like you can only go dream within a dream within a dream for so many, so many iterations before you're basically on this sort of base level subconscious, you know, um, dream, dream world. And you that's know, the same that, for everybody. That, that, like everybody has this. I, that's, I, you know, who can say except for that's how the movie presents it. I don't, okay. you know, maybe, I, I, I guess I would say that's true. But what I'm saying is I feel like there, there should be, or I should say it, it makes sense to me that it's not a hundred levels of dreams within the dreams before you get to a place where you're, you're so mired in your subconscious that, everything is totally different than the other levels before. I mean, that's the whole point of limbo is that it's, it's sort of so deep down in your subconscious that it, that it's sort of different than the higher levels of the dream world. 
And going and going a dream, because think about how crazy it is to go three levels of dreaming. I mean, you know, a dream within a dream within a dream, and then try to, I mean, the way the movie depicts it is you're going so far down into your psyche that you get to this other place. So, I, you know, I, I basically think that's, that's what we're supposed to take from it is that, you know, one level, the first level of dreams, that's where everybody, you know, everyone goes to that level in their dreams. People are satisfied with that. Maybe naturally, you know, sort of realistically, people might have a dream within the dream. I don't know if I've ever had that, but maybe, maybe that's I've never some had way. That, but it's a good you know, idea. I mean, I feel like if I had a dream within the dream, to me, it would present itself as a second dream. You know, I've never had a dream where I went, yeah. went necessarily went to sleep and started yeah. dreaming. So, I, you know, it gets a little crazy if you try to think about it too much. But... I've never had a dream where I wake up in my bed. Mm-hmm. Oh, I see. That would be the other test. I mean, I definitely, I definitely have had that. I've, I definitely have had dreams where I thought I was awake. You know, you know, it's the, the, the typical like you think you're getting ready for work or school mm-hmm. or something, and then you wake up and then you're not. And you're still in bed. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. Maybe that's maybe that's like that. But but yeah, that's I think the, the point, thing, yeah. the, the way the movie presents presents it is that you, you you know first of all, going a dream within a dream is already crazy. You know, using this dream share technology. Yeah. Three levels is almost unheard of, right? The the uh, Yusef, the um, the chemist says, whoa, three levels. You know, that's crazy. So. Yeah. I'll buy that the fourth level is even crazier than that because you're dealing with, you know, these large-scale expansions of time and all this stuff. And um, so, yeah, did I answer your question? Yeah, you did. You did. I, 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 I have to say that I don't, I don't really buy it in terms of, like, as a, as a concept. But, but I, just to make clear, like, for me, that has zero impact on the quality of the movie. I mean, I don't. Like working out details like this is is not about like how good the movie is to me. Yeah, I feel like the movie. I feel like the movie gets to set up its own rules. As, and as a concept, as, it totally works. It's cool. Yeah, and I feel like as long as, as long as the rules of the movie are consistent, I think it succeeds. Because again, you know, I've heard no one talk about this movie, and he's he's making a subjective movie. You know, he's setting up rules for how he wants them to work and yeah. and stuff like that. So I don't. It doesn't have to conform to what science says about dreams, right. you know, or consciousness. It, as course. long as the, the rules that the movie sets up are consistent, yeah. then I think it works. That's what yeah. makes fiction fun, you know. You, 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 get to, you get to make up your own rules and, yeah. and uh, you know. I mean, for me, they don't even have to be consistent as long as they're interesting. But, mm-hmm. but I think, you know, yeah, the... Uh, you know they are pretty much consistent, and yeah, I just, I, I just don't like. I don't buy that if this were real, that's real. They would really have a limbo like this, so absolute. But, but you know, I, I, I well, and what is limbo really? But another very, very low dream state, and I, and they never went there. But maybe you could say you could go to you know if you created a dream share machine in limbo. Maybe you can go to some other place. I don't know. The, the movie yeah. never really hit on that. So no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just it's just something that I wasn't clear on. So yeah, that's why I uh, I felt the need to ask about it. Um, okay, so uh, I guess okay. Here's here's my next thing. Um, okay. The totems. Uh, mm-hmm. So the idea of the totems is they're a thing that lets them tell whether they're in a dream or they're in the real world, 
right? That's, mm-hmm. that's their function. They, they do something with them, and that tells them whether they're in a dream or in the real world. Now, okay, so I get that, and that's fine because you really want to have that. And, of course, for the ending of the movie, it's uh, totally helpful that they have that concept around. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I guess I don't understand how they work. So, so he makes uh, – they show you – they show you – no, they show you Alan Page making like a chess piece – that tips over or something. And, mm-hmm. and then uh, I guess, uh, well, what's his name? Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yes, thank you. Uh, 500 Days Arthur, of Summer Guy. Arthur, in the movie, his name yeah, is Arthur. Arthur, thank you. He, uh, he's he got a loaded die, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and Leo's got this top, which I guess yeah. was his wife's or something. It's, that it's, was his wife's original. Yeah, that was her uh, totem. He took it for sentimental reasons, probably. So... Uh, so there's so the die is weighted. I guess the chess piece is weighted, and the top is I don't know. The top is just the top. It it finishes eventually, like all tops do in the real world. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the idea is okay. I yeah, I'm done. I don't get it. So they go to the dream world. And- <laughs> I'm like I'm like following you. Yep, yep, yep. Where's the problem? I don't see anything. So they so they go to the dream world and yeah. they have some version of these items, but for reasons I totally don't understand, they don't behave the same way they do in the real world. Mm-hmm. So can you help me out with that? I don't get it. Like why why doesn't the top do what it does just like you know, his shoes do what they do in the real world. You know what I mean? Like, why yeah. is the top why a perpetual the top motion the, machine? Does it just keep spinning? Um, I mean, again, I can only give a reasonable answer, which is what I, I would just say that uh, that's, just the, that's just how the dream world works. That's just a product of the dream world, that uh, um, this thing that spins will just keep spinning because it, there is no sort of friction or gravity or anything like, you know, those well, lower levels. gravity because they're all held down and objects. Well, that's, that's, okay. I mean, you're going to make me verge into speculative mode where I'm going to come up with stuff to answer this question. <laughs> hey, so, Because I, I would say they, gravity, you know, when they're dreaming, there's gravity because they, they are dreaming, right? And they, so you sort of assume that there's like, like when you're dreaming, you know, you're you're not on the ground because there's gravity in your dream. You're on the ground because you think that there's gravity, right? Yeah. So I think that that explains why the top keeps spinning is because, you know, versus Leo and the characters being on the ground, they, they sort of expect to be on the ground because of our, you know, learn behavior right. from reality. I guess um, I don't even think top, it goes that far. Like I think I think the real reason I dream that I'm on the ground is just that that's the way I'm used to the world working. You know, I don't think you have to know about gravity to dream. Well, that's, a, that's what I'm saying. I mean that's but that's why you're on the ground is because of yeah. gravity. But yeah, you it's all about your expectations. And the whole point of when you're dreaming and you realize and you become lucid is that you can break those expectations. You can say, Hey wait a minute I'm not in the real world. There is no force of gravity on me or, you know, whatever you would say. And then, okay, therefore, I, I can fly if I want to. Yeah. You know, and, and so I feel like uh, now, you know, we're in the realm of speculation here uh, more than the movie is answering this. But I, I feel like that kind of answer is why the top keeps spinning because there's nothing on the top telling the top it needs to, to pretend like it's in the real world. You know, it, it, it's just spinning in the dream world and it's just going to keep spinning. Okay. Now, I don't, and, I, and the caveat there is 
that I don't think that's that's how it necessarily should work in a dream world. You know, okay. that's just the way the movie presents that it works. Okay, in dream okay, world. okay. Yeah, I just I don't I didn't really understand like why like it seemed like there should be some some sort of reason why it would behave that way, but I don't think they really made that clear. It just does. You know, yeah, so. I think it just behaves that way. I mean, there's a, there's there's some things in the movie that that's just you know that's just the way it is. It's like, you know, the the projections you know behave the way they behave. Why? Well, that's just the way it's set up. Right. You know, uh, in, in my dream, when I realize I'm dreaming, you know, I don't I don't think that there's my projections become aware of that or anything like that. So, it's it, it's just the way the movie sets it up, and uh, it could have been anything. But I mean, I, I think it, it's a, there's a hint of truth there, right? I mean, I feel like I can remember things of dreams where you know things don't necessarily behave correctly, and I might not be aware of that in the dream. But if I am conscious, you know, if I'm lucid or after I wake up, then I'll go, wait a minute, you know. I remember, I remember sure. this weird dream the other day where the I actually became lucid because I I, I was driving this truck. It's like a like a you know like a truck and or SUV and the whole sort of thing about the dream was I was having issues with this car and there's other people and there's other things going on but but the car kept like being so hard to drive that it became ridiculous it just was like I'm like this what is wrong with this car like the wheel or something was it was just it was so ridiculous to drive I just realized this is not reality like something's wrong here this this car i'm cuz the car was still going but it was having such a hard time driving that any other car in reality would have blown up or die, or just stopped or something and i'm like okay something's wrong here so i mean you have those so that's why i feel like the the top spinning works is because dream logic sort of is like that where you can have these things that don't really correlate to real world physics but you don't kind of really notice them so you just go along with it you know yeah, I guess, like, I agree, yeah, things don't, I mean, I definitely, you know, things that defy physics can easily happen in dreams, but not, like, as a hard and fast rule, like, all tops shall spin perpetually mm-hmm. in my dreams, you know, I don't, mm-hmm. there's no reason that's reliable. Any particular thing, you can't say it's always going to violate physics in this way, you know what I mean? I mm-hmm. feel like, I feel like that's sort of arbitrary. Like, why would it, you know, why would it do that for tops, but not for anything, you know, for most other things? You know, his shoes, his clothes, his hair, you know, things that also behave, you know, according to gravity. I don't know. I mean, what if they would have got a plate and tried to spin a plate? I don't know. Would the plate keep spinning? I don't, you know, I don't know. But, I mean, it's not about spinning things. I mean, you know, a lot of stuff is subject to gravity, you know, Mm -hmm. in in the dream. So it seems... Totally arbitrary that tops would somehow not. Well, be. the the top is more. It's more about the friction, the friction than the gravity, right? Because it's still staying. It's not flying around the room. It's on the table. It's it's the lack of friction that keeps that or inert. You know, it just keeps going because of that. Well, yeah, so but, the, but gravity the gravity working. eventually pulls it down. Yeah, but you know, I mean, if there were, if there were no gravity and you spun a top, it would just spin forever. Well, but if there Wait, say that again? If, if there you, were no gravity if you saw the and you top and there the were no top. gravity, yeah, or no, like, yeah, friction, friction's playing a role, too, but also yeah. gravity is bringing it down rather than up. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. The gravity is keeping this, the, the top on the table, right? Yeah. And friction is what would stop the top from spinning. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, gravity so has, really, a, has a small effect, I'm yeah, sure. But, but the friction is really the big thing that keeps it from either spinning or not spinning. Sure. So it's like, it seems like that's the what's going on. The friction is too. I mean, that's why they can walk around and drive around, you know. Oh, totally. I mean, friction is, is there in, in some, you know, in some way for a lot of stuff. Oh, so that, whatever I agree. Force, you know, whatever force you want to say is doing it, you know, it's, it's, it's affecting things. In, in that dream world, but not tops, you know, mm-hmm. again, for, for no apparent reason. Yeah. You know, so, so that's, so I, I don't really get that. But again, like I said, to me, the, to me, the, the, it's a cool idea and uh, they get a lot of mileage out of it. It really works. And I, I'm not, I, I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I just, I just think it doesn't really make any sense. Mm-hmm. You know, so, Okay. All right, so so there's that. Um, uh, okay, uh, I I just want to go back to limbo for a second. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm stuck on it. So you're telling me they don't sleep in limbo at all? Uh, I don't know. We never saw anyone sleep in limbo. Okay. I mean, who, just, what do you I'm, mean, go, trying, go going to sleep? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't I don't think they really go to sleep on any of the dream levels. Well, isn't that how they have dreams within dreams? Oh, well, I mean, yeah, they use the machine to go to sleep, but I don't think anyone just organically, well, I'm going to go to bed now. Okay. So when you're living that's their what, life that's what for I was 50 saying years. Earlier. That's, that's what I was saying earlier. Like, uh, you know, if, if in limbo they they wanted to manifest one of the dream machines and put themselves in sedation and go to another level deeper – I don't. I guess that would work. I don't know. We didn't see it, but I would. I would imagine that could possibly happen. Okay, but but you're saying that under ordinary circumstances, they just they're awake when they're living there for 50 years. They're awake the entire time. That's the way the movie presented itself. I don't okay. know. I don't know. But I mean, when they like come I said, out of it, does, is she like? It doesn't. Wow. It doesn't sleep, feel like 50 that? years. It doesn't feel like 50 years to them. It doesn't. I thought it did. I thought that was the point. It feels like. 50 years, but in reality, whatever, you know, shorter amount of time has gone by in the real world. Oh, yeah, when you're, oh, when you're in, when you're in the 50, when you're in that level, yeah, yeah. you are experiencing that, yeah. Yeah, so they're, so they're, they're living what feels like 50 years without sleeping, and then they mm-hmm. wake up, like, is that not weird? Like, we just live for 50 years without sleep, like, what's sleep? Like, we haven't had to do that, you know, well, remember, remember, this, these are dreams, right? First of all, these are dreams. So when you wake up from a dream, you don't, you're not, you're not explicitly aware of everything that happened, and you're making this sort of like analysis of what's going on. Most, most, most details in dreams you don't remember when you wake up. Number one. Number two is they were in the you know fourth level down of of their consciousness. So I don't think they remembered a lot of that stuff anyway. The flashback you know, really was, made it seem like Leo remembered. What happened there? I mean, did he? If he forgot what happened no, I mean, there? I, I, no, I'm, I No, I yeah, I agree. I mean, I think I think there's obviously big stuff, big stuff that he remembered. I'm just saying I don't think he's going to remember every single detail that of the 50 years that went on, just but for the virtue of you, that's not true with any dream that you have, you know, in general. You don't, you know. 
Okay. So if he if he remembers ten percent of that fifty years, I think that's pretty awesome, you know, uh, something like that. But um, you know, obviously he's gonna remember the big stuff, them creating the world, uh, her problem with not wanting to leave, him in the inception, you know, the stuff that he showed was a very small fraction of, you know, what actually happened. So I, you know, so I, I'm just saying in general, I think the movie does use the rule that when you wake up from a dream, it's it's not like you remember every single thing that happened, which I think sort of explains the end of the movie when Cillian, Cillian Murphy's right. character comes out and he sees Leo Leo DiCaprio. I think he's thinking, "What well, that guy looks familiar." Yeah. I don't think he's remembering any of the stuff that happened in the dream. Right. You know, because it was a dream and they were heavily sedated and several levels down, those kind of experiences just don't become hard-coded into long-term memories, you know, or at least, you know, easily accessible long-term memories. Uh, and, of course, he did just see this guy on the plane. So if he's like, wait, that guy looks familiar. Well, he was just sitting behind me. I'm not going to think about this anymore, you know, because it's a very reasonable explanation for him to look familiar if you just flew with someone on the plane for 10 hours. Uh, or however much time it was, but uh, but so yeah, so yeah. To answer your question, in the limbo world, if they if they slept or not, I don't know. You sure or no? <laughs> I don't think it okay. matters. It obviously doesn't matter. Okay. They didn't show it. Um, uh, and even if they did go to sleep, what does that really mean when you're dreaming? Does that does that does that? Because I don't even think going to sleep in the dream necessarily means you're going to go to a deeper dream level. You know, every time that they were going a deeper level, it was it was predicated on using the machine again. Okay. Yes. Right. So maybe the idea is you can't you can't do this naturally, and you have to have yeah. like technology to just like humans can't just fly around without something. To yeah. About, you know. So yeah, I, that that's fine. That's fine. I mean, it did seem like Leo remembered a significant amount of that of that time but yeah they didn't show it all so yeah so, i mean so what they know. showed again was a very small fraction of 50 years it was yeah, but the, the most still, significant event of the 50 years be, it, it still seems like a lot mm-hmm. well and you i know? would throw this in there he is going back and forth between reality and dream worlds after that and he gets to go explore his mind so he can probably conjure up those you know that that whole elevator system that whole building he created was was literally memories that he had organized so yeah. he can remember those things because he pulled them out of his mind and started playing with them so that's different than someone going to sleep and waking up and forgetting things yes yes Yes. Okay. Okay. I mean, it's it's not an important question. It's just in terms just in terms of limbo being the bottom. That's that's the only reason I I get stuck on do they sleep? And also because you know they live their lives there, and you know mm-hmm. sleep is a normal part of life for. I would. Real you know, I I really think limbo is probably not the the lowest level. I just think it's low enough to where you know the whole point of limbo is 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 in full effect. Of that, yeah. you're sort of lost and mired in your own subconscious. Hey, this, you know, the the human eye could have an infinite, infinite level. So, I, you know, who's to say how far it could go? Sure. Right. Yeah. That's that's sort of more. I mean, not as like infinite, but I guess I would expect it to be. You know, I would expect it to be something not so hard and fast. You know, as some like some number like four. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, and maybe it even varies with different people, you know, depending on brain chemistry or something. That's that, that's what my that's what my bullshit like, you know. But don't forget, these machines are are I would assume very specific in terms of what they're doing to your brain. So, you know, you know, the brain is all about 
you know, uh, brainwaves and patterns and stuff, and maybe the machine is, you know, it, it could be very, that technical where no matter who you are, it's four levels before limbo because of how the machine works. Okay. Okay. Um, uh, oh, I'll just throw uh, out uh, probably, probably one of my favorite things from the uh from the dream bits was when the train is suddenly like in the middle of the street mm-hmm. and hits them from behind that was great that was probably the part of the movie where i felt like they actually dove in and you know let let some of the possible craziness of a dream you know play out mm-hmm. you know so like oh shit there can just be a train in the middle of the street out of nowhere you know that was great i love that yeah that's that's probably the closest, you know, once, like, the plot really started going, you know, after the sort of demonstration scenes, mm-hmm. that's probably the closest they came to doing the kind of stuff I wanted with with the well, dream world. And that's because that stuff was the arbitrary, unplanned stuff. Yeah. You know, that's, that's that wasn't, that was the stuff they didn't, that wasn't designed, that was the stuff they weren't planning on, they didn't count on that stuff happening, so... It's more organic because that all that stuff was Killian Murphy's subconscious trying to protect itself. Right. 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 I'm gonna start calling them K Murph, <laughs> but it's a C, so you have to say C Murph. Um. Uh. Th- there was a couple of bits. I think particularly it was the scene in the bar with with Leo and. What was it, K-Murph? No, C-Murph, sorry. Wow. Yeah, it should be K-Murph, but it's C-Murph. <laughs> it is. Um, uh, you know, where he's he's doing he's doing Mr. Charles or something, is that what it is? Uh-huh. And, and um, I forgot what gets said, but there's something. Oh, he realizes he's dreaming, I guess. That's the point. Mm-hmm. And then, like, the people in the restaurant just all turn and look at them. Mm-hmm. You know, like, that was that was great as well. Like that. Yeah. That was just creepy, and I, there's nothing like you know a parent group of strangers just suddenly like turning their attention to you for no apparent reason. Becoming one conscious entity. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want. You don't want that. It's creepy. Like it. Yeah. I, I think the subconscious uh, people had some of the appeal of the of the agents in the Matrix. Mm-hmm. You know, they have that quality, and that they're everywhere. You know, um, uh, populating, and 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 they'll just they'll just turn against you uh, out of nowhere. Yeah. You know, um, on the on the downside, I thought that they were kind of kind of faceless and personalityless, which of course is the part of what, the point of what they're doing. But yeah. you know, none of them really stood out. There was no Agent Smith of the subconscious. You know, and I, yeah, I, I think in general, like. A villain. I know it doesn't fit into the story, but it took some of the interest out of the movie that there, that there wasn't really any kind of antagonist to to care about, you know, in the in the story. Mm-hmm. I, I I just that's it's. I, I feel like to me that's that undermines a little bit of the of the tension of the movie. You just don't have this, you know, because these these faceless subconscious guys are cool in a way, but also they sort of lack. Uh, personality well the antagonists of the movie are all the little things that are get in the way of them trying to accomplish the goal there's no one character who embodies that 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 idea maul is the closest thing that comes to an antagonist in terms of a single character but 
you know, what they're trying to do and, and, and the obstacles that arise because of that is, is for, you know, is the substitute for having one character who's trying to stop them the whole time. I think that it would have been less interesting uh, and definitely would have changed the story, obviously. Uh, but, uh, well, I guess I should say less interesting. I'd say less interesting for this story, but another story with that might be awesome. Um, right, right, yeah. yeah. Obviously, if they wanted to bring that in, they'd have to change the story somewhat. So, yeah. so who knows? Maybe that would actually make it worse in the end. But I just, I just think my involvement in the story was undermined a bit by the lack of the lack of some some villain to well, to, I think, to latch I think, on to. I think since it's a heist movie, and I don't know about you, but I I want them to succeed in the end. And I think it would have been way more frustrating to me if they would have. You know, like I said, Maul is kind of the antagonist, but she's not on every level trying to do something at every turn. And uh, and I think if she was, that would have been way more frustrating for me, you know, for for us to be like, okay, elevator level. Oh, now we're going to deal with Maul here. Okay, you know, the snow level. Okay, well, Maul is there. She kills the guy there, you know. But yeah. it's like if, if at every turn you have to deal with Maul, I think that would get very frustrating. Since she can't really, you know, since all she can really do is muck things up, since what's really going on is really in the real world, right? Like, the, a true antagonist, right. you know, and, an, ultimately, an ultimate power antagonist would have been someone in the real world trying to stop them. Yeah, and I think the problem with, with, with Maul as a villain is that she is, uh, she is just a projection of Leonardo's subconscious. So she's not really an entity in her own right, you know, so... yeah. She's just doing stuff because he's got he's got problems. He's got psychological problems that are sort of a, you know rattling around in his subconscious. So, mm-hmm. so to me, she's not a full throated villain. She's she's more like you know just that, hate that expression. Yeah, a sort of metaphor for for Leonardo DiCaprio's problems, like haunting him. Yeah, you know that's that's I think she's more that than than a character, except in the flashbacks, of course. Mm-hmm. So, I, so I, I think that's that's why she doesn't really work. I agree. I wouldn't I wouldn't want to see her everywhere. It's it's and I, yeah. I mean, I'm not a writer. I can't really rewrite this story and put a villain in there. I just that's just an element that isn't there in the movie. That uh, uh, you know, that an action like, movie typically gives like it more. Yeah, p- potentially. I mean, I I feel like I missed I missed that. You know, I did mm-hmm. want them to succeed, but I guess I would like them to be able to go against something that had personality. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like that's more interesting than going up against sort of faceless nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it was it's an interpersonal story, right? I mean, he the 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 antagonist is himself. I mean, and that's you can have right. stories where that's that's the antagonist. So it's his, it, he's really fighting himself, and uh, and it's uh, you know she, uh, the projection of that antagonist is Maul. So yeah, yeah, right, exactly. Um, okay, all right. Another like just technical thing. So mm-hmm. one of the cool elements uh, in the movie is when something happens to you. It, you know, while you're sleeping or sedated, I guess, or machine-induced uh, dream state, uh, mm-hmm. if something happens to your body, uh, it sort of manifests itself in the dream in some way. 
you know. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, for us normal people, it's usually like the alarm clock gets incorporated into the dream or the phone ring gets incorporated into the dream yeah. or whatever. It's, this is sort of like that, you know, uh, uh, taken, taken to a higher level, you know. So if they're immersed in water, then water just starts pouring in, you know, uh, mm-hmm. from from the sides of the building, you know, or uh, or if they're in free fall, then like you know, gravity sort of stops working and they just start floating around, you know. Yeah. So that was cool. Uh, I liked that. Now, uh, the thing is that uh, okay, so uh, so they're in the the van. That's sort of level one. Um, and it's the van is uh, falling off the bridge, and that that happens for a big portion of the movie. And mm-hmm. as a result of that, in the hotel, which is the next level, uh, the jo- uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt Arthur uh, is 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 floating around, having to figure out how to how to jolt the bodies since there's no gravity. Mm-hmm. Uh, suddenly, okay. But uh, even though their bodies are floating around in that level, in the next level, which is the ice fortress level, uh, mm-hmm. gravity still there isn't apparently being affected at all by what's happening in the previous level. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I don't really understand that. Um. Well, I like to say to that is the the only reason that um, the only reason that in the that they're affected by gravity at all, or the loss of gravity at all, it, it, under that heavy sedation, it's because he specifically tailored that compound to leave their inner ear functions intact. Um, so that's why you know they could feel those kicks and everything because that was important to the plot. Um, so you're saying you're saying since they're floating around on the second level, that they should be floating on the third level? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I would say since since they're they're that that basically the dream share machine that they used in the second level did not leave their inner ear functions intact. Um so they they're not experiencing that in the third level. Okay. Okay. So uh okay. Okay. So normally uh normally if if they were if they were in free fall uh, it would have no effect on the dream. I, you know, I don't know. I mean, because that's, that's opening up to saying, say you're, say you're in, a, say you're in four levels of dreams, just sort of, and hypothetically, you're in four levels of dreams, and if one at the top level, let's say you're not even in free fall in reality, but in that first level of dreaming, you dream you're flying or dream yeah. you're falling. Then that that means that every level after that would be affected, yeah. and so the dream within the dream thing would kind of come crashing down because then each dream would not be sort of, sort of more or less isolated from the, from the uh, the the top dream. Yeah. So it would like chain react. Yeah. That's that, true. That, yeah, that'd be weird. But it but it depends on the top level, you know, because it it's just it's just an, another. You know, it's just another level on top of something that's straight from the top level. And, like, basically at the beginning of the well, movie, when you have uh, Leonardo being thrown into the bathtub, that's a dream, you know. And then in the next dream level, he sees the water coming in, you know, on the sides of the building. So, mm-hmm. you know, so to a certain extent, like, within the dream, 
if if things happen to your body, it manifests in the next dream level, even if the things that happen are within a dream themselves. Well, yeah, but I would also say part of that part of that was the fact that he was waking up and the dream was crashing down. So that kind of explains why they were crossing over to each other. He wasn't sort of continuing the dream. He, you know, the dream was coming to an end. So he is he was becoming more and more conscious as you know that sequence takes place. Okay, but it was still within the dream. I mean, you know. But it's on the precipice of him waking up. Okay, so so the dream was affected so, differently guess, depending on how close to waking up you are or something? Well, I would, ima- I would imagine that, right? I mean, if you're in deep sleep, you're not going to hear the alarm clock as much as you are if you're, you know, not as asleep but still dreaming, right? I mean, I think I think in generally generally speaking, how conscious you are, or I should say, eh, it's kind of weird to say that, how the level of sleep that you're in when you're dreaming uh, would have some effect on how the you know the outside world is is uh, infecting your your dream. And see, I didn't think that he was. Wa- I thought the thing was falling apart because the person whose dream it was woke up. And and that's why it was falling apart, not because Leo was waking up. I thought the problem was he wasn't waking up, and that's why they pushed him in the bathtub. Oh, that's right. It was the other guy. It was the other guy who had woke up. That's why. Yeah, that's why I was coming apart. That's right. But I mean, his waking up. I mean, he would have. He he would have had to wait. How did it? How did it go? Because they they gave him the kick. I forget how the beginning works. Because why did they give him the kick? I, I thought they gave him the kick just because uh, they didn't want him to. They wanted him to wake up. But I feel like he was going to wake up anyway. He wasn't like they wanted him to wake up right then, and they couldn't. Yeah, exactly. I think I think that was the thing is they wanted him to wake up right then. I think he would have woken up, you know, very soon after if if because the dream the dream world was gone. Like, I guess we never saw what happens. But I mean, like, what would his conscious consciousness do? Right. Without that dream world, I, I think he would have been woken up anyway. Maybe it would have taken another thirty seconds or whatever or a minute. I don't know how long it takes to get out of it, but okay. So you're saying it's a special situation, and well, I'm just saying that 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 situation it, it has some extra qualities to it. I don't know if that means that it's any different than any other scenario. Okay, yeah, I guess what I'm yeah what I was going to say is if they had knocked him into the water earlier, it would have had no effect on the dream. It, no, I mean I think like they showed with um with with Yusef, the chemist, you know, when they go to the first level of Dream World, it's raining because he's got to use the bathroom. Okay, good. Yeah. And that's that's There's an know, example. Yeah. But but again, that's that's sort of an internal thing, but yeah. I'm just saying, you know, it's not raining on the subsequent levels just because it's raining in the first level. Aha, uh-huh, yeah. So that's that's where I just don't get it. I mean, it should be, I think. Well, I don't think it necessarily should be. Uh, it seems like it depends on who's who's getting affected by, you know, by the... Um... If it's raining, everyone. Yeah, but here's the thing. It's raining in the dream... It's raining in Yusef's dream because Yusef has to use a bathroom, right? Okay. Okay. Now, in now for Leo, who's who's in that level one dream, when he goes to level two, you know, it's raining on him in... Uh, well, I guess... I guess when they go, well, they're in the they're in the van at that point, so it's not really raining anymore on them. So 
Yeah. It should it shouldn't be raining, I guess. Rain if it's not raining on line. them, yeah, it shouldn't. But but the but the when they go off the bridge, the fact that they're in midair does affect the gravity for everyone at the next level. Mhm. Yeah, okay, so let me think. Let's see. So they go off the bridge in the first level, and the second level there's no gravity. So, like I said, the best explanation I can come up with is that, that you know, it has to do with the machine. Okay. Which is why they don't, you know, there's there's gravity in the in the other levels. Okay. Because I, it just seems like there's a difference to me between what's happening with your body, and maybe there's not, but I feel like there's a difference between what's happening with your body in the real world affecting your dream and what's happening to your body in a dream affecting lower level dreams. Okay. Okay. I mean, that I appears, like there is a difference. But. That appears to be somewhat the case, but it, it isn't clear exactly what the difference is. Yeah. Since they show elements of it being the same and elements of it being different. Yeah. So, so, okay. Okay. That's again, very much a nitpicky kind of point. Um, mm-hmm which uh, has no effect on the quality of the movie um, for me. Uh, okay, so let's see. What else? Oh, I had something specific in mind. Oh, I, I have to admit, I didn't really understand the Tom Hardy character. Mm-hmm. Um, can you can – you, I, I only saw it once. Can you tell me, like, what, is, what does he do? Like, he, he impersonates other people? Like, I, I, I so, feel like I missed yeah, some I mean, bit of information about him. Well, they don't give you much. Basically, yeah, he's he's very good at studying people's behavior. And so basically what he did was his job for the for the for the main the main con or the main the main job, his function for the job, the heist, was to uh was to impersonate Brown or Browning. Was it Browning? Uh the uh Tom Berger character. Um, uncle somebody, Uncle Brown or whatever his name was. Yeah. Tony Murphy's uncle. Right. Not real uncle, I guess, but you know, uncle. He called him and, uncle, yeah. Yeah. So he studied his behavior. He you know, obviously got a good look at what he looks like so he could so he could, you know, make himself look like that and study his behavior so he can act like that. It's just it, you know, so basically it basically is like when he's in a dream world, he can just like a a dreamer or an architect can reshape the world he can reshape his appearance in the dream. And so that's that's like his special skill set is to accurately mimic whatever character or person he wants to uh, uh, imitate. Okay. How much does he have to know about that person to do it? I think all he needs to do, honestly, it looks like he just needs to look to look to see them for some period of time, or okay. or be around them. I don't. That's all we see. All we see is that one shot of him at the at the uh, father's office uh, at their at their office when the lawyers are talking and he's looking at Brown, and that's it. And then he can impersonate him. Okay. Okay. You know, it doesn't mean he's going to know that guy's memories or thoughts or anything. Right, like that, right. He's not the smoke monster. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. Sorry. <laughs> I don't know if it's spoiler. But yeah, that's okay. 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 Um. Uh. Nice. Nice bit that you know he has to impersonate the guy, and then and then there's the subconscious version that pops up. Um. Which is predicated on that first impersonation. Yes. 
I love that because it feeds it feeds that idea back to Killian's character. Uh, yeah, back to himself. Yeah, they plant ideas in his head about who that guy is, and and he takes those and runs with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's weird because it's just we see all this. It's like I guess there's some kind of tagline for this movie about um, the scene of the crime is your mind or something. Yeah. I, I think. Um, I don't. I don't think that's exactly uh, the best tagline for the movie. But at the same time, I, I think it's weird that what we see is so, you know, it's on 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 the one hand, on the surface, it's kind of it's kind of classic like action movie stuff and heist movie stuff, you yeah. know, uh, in terms of like the subconscious people manifest themselves as henchmen quite nicely, you know, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it's it's totally metaphorical, you know, they're, they're, it's actually him, you know, his subconscious is like trying to defend itself against uh, people like them, basically, and he doesn't really realize that, so he ends up sort of, um, you know, uh, you know, sneaking around them or, or, or having to, you know, uh, having to, to deal with them, uh, so it's, like all the conflict in the movie is this is this stuff going on in people's minds, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just weird. Like very it's little... almost like your mind is the scene of the crime. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was trying to get at. Like very little actually happens in the movie. It's mostly like brain signals. Yeah, the movie takes place in the in the in the end of the mind. Like I think there's some scenes at the beginning that are supposed to be the real world, but. It's uh, it's largely not, and yes. and and most of the conflict is 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 from the dream world, you know, and definitely all the resolution is in the dream world, you know, both for C. Murph and Leonardo DiCaprio's character, mm-hmm. you know. So, but the whole point is that resolution will be brought back with them to the real world. Yes. So yes. even though the catharsis is technically, you know. After after they come out of the van and splashes into the river or whatever, and Killian is on the bank, he's going, ah, yes, I I know what my father meant. Now I'm a happy man. But he's going to take that. I obviously take right. that idea back to the real world. Uh, so yeah. But whereas in most movies, if you had a guy leading a heist with problems, and the heist becomes an occasion where he has to face those problems and deals with them. Most movies, that is a metaphorical process. In this case, it's a literal metaphorical process where we actually see it, and yet it's still metaphorical because it's going on in their minds and it's representations of things mm-hmm. that we're seeing. You know, so well, like, I think that's what the movie talks about is the difference between dream and reality, and and what what really is the difference. Uh, you know, there are differences, uh, obviously, but. Um, but, yeah, uh, I think that Major is the power. That is the power of of dreams that uh, you can you can your, that your consciousness can can still experience things. Yes. Uh, on a minor note, Michael Caine's character. Can you? I don't know about you, but I have a hard time telling the difference between uh, Michael Caine's character in this movie and uh, Alfred from the Dark Knight. <laughs> I think this is what Alfred does when uh, Bruce Wayne is on vacation. <laughs> okay. Um, so his character, um, you know, when I first watched the movie, I thought, oh man, it's so cool that they didn't even tell us 
you know, what, what Michael Caine did, like what subject he taught, mm-hmm. you know, because I, I thought the architect stuff was, was sort of more a generalized idea of an architect. But I, I watch it again, I just have to assume he's an architect professor. Yeah, I think and that's And Ariadne is an architectural student. Yeah. Um, I thought when they kept talking about architects, it was more it was more like the idea of an architect, but they've got these other skills or they're studying something else, but we need, you know, something like that. But yeah. you know, I guess it's, they, she's just an architectural student. It looks like the idea is supposed to be that having real-world architecture skills is some kind of prerequisite to, you know, building the dream world, that yeah. the same skills apply and that basically it's attractive because – uh, you don't have to obey the laws of physics, although she did for the most part. Well, the main the main reason to use an architect was to ward off the projections. Right. And then, of course, helping to ward off projections is the ability to bend the laws of physics. Right. So, like that, but that was like the attraction because she's she's about ready to walk away, but she comes mm-hmm. back because of the appeal of you know designing sort of with free reign. Yeah. You know, which which is something she'll never be able to do, just building buildings in the real world. Yeah, she can design stuff that can never exist, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so that's, and that's, you know, very appealing. I mean, I, I, it's easy to understand. And and probably the most dazzling sequence in the movie is is the bit where her and uh, Leonardo DiCaprio walk around um, in uh, Paris or something, and all, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff happens. Mm-hmm. It's, it's uh uh it's it's great you know uh the 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 thing folding on itself and the, and the bridge and the mirrors and all, all that stuff was was really good so speaking of the mirror scene yeah i brought up the mirror specifically cuz i've heard you have a theory about that so i'd like to know what what you took from that because that's probably one of the few parts of the movie you know i think nolan is great at eliciting questions from the audience and then answering them uh, pretty expertly for the most part all throughout the movie. But there's a couple, you know, it's like, you know, when you watch certain scenes, you, you pretty much understand what you get out of them, right? You, okay, I'm supposed to think this, or I don't know what I'm supposed to think yet, but then later they tell you what you're supposed to think. So I, I don't get the mirror scene. Do you do you know what we're supposed to get from what was going on there? Honestly, no, I don't. Uh, when you said that, I, I realized I hadn't even thought about it. Um mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I hate to be superficial. It looked cool. Uh, Definitely looked cool. It uh, it see it was a little bit. It it possibly may have been an homage to a shot in Citizen Kane of the same type. Okay. Uh, but that's I mean all that is sort of meta stuff. It doesn't really explain what's going on in the story. Um, yeah, like why that? Why is that scene there? What is what is that scene contributing to the story or the characters? That's sort of what I'm trying to figure out. Yeah, honestly, I don't know. Uh, I don't. I don't. I I never thought about it, and then when I saw your little Twitter post about it, I gave it some thought, and I got nothing. I really, I really don't know what that's. I'm I'm curious to hear what your theory is about it. Uh, well, I'll never tell you. No. Um, so. I, I, okay, so basically, if you don't remember this scene, I'll set it up. Ariadne and and, uh, and Cobb are walking through Paris, and this is just after she has um, made the city fold on in itself, and we saw the big the big scene when the, they're at the cafe and all the objects around them explode. Um, so they're walking through, and, and basically the, the topic of the conversation is, is, is uh, 
is the projection. She's changing things in the dream world very drastically, very radically, very rapidly. And he's telling her, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't, you shouldn't alter this world like that because it alerts the projections that someone else is inside this dream that's not supposed to be there. Someone is in this subconscious that isn't supposed to be there. And therefore, they will come and attack you if you do it too much for too long or whatever, what have you. So that's sort of the topic of the conversation right when the mirror scene happens. She, she creates the bridge that, that she walks over, and then uh, she walks across the bridge, and then she just out of nowhere grabs a mirror. That's, I don't know why that mirror is there. <laughs> um, and she moves it, and then she grabs a second mirror and moves it. And then the two mirrors are, of course, uh, parallel, and they reflect, and then you see sort of infinite projections of the two of them. And I got to say, as an aside, every time I see that scene, I expect to see the camera when they move the when yeah. they move the mirror. You expect the camera to be oh no, they got the cameraman, and then they never do, of course. <laughs> that would be hilarious if they showed the cameraman. Yeah, I just, I'm just because you just okay if they move the mirror this way, that's you have the to see the camera. Is. Yeah, they just they're gonna show the camera. Oops, <laughs> they, but they thought of that. Um, they really did. <laughs> They're just not good. <laughs> okay, so so the, before I tell you my theory, like, I don't know if these mirrors are really there in Paris at that bridge. You know, I don't know if that's some part of the landmark. You know, I have to assume this is the movie set and not a real object in that location in real life, or else I'd have a different opinion about what's going on here. Right, those big mirrors are probably not there, I would say. Probably not there, although it's Paris, you know. <laughs> I would be that surprised, right? Sure. Um, we 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 have mirrors. I don't know. Um, that's it. Okay. So here's my crazy theory. So, so Cobb is talking. So okay, basically, like I said, so she puts the mirrors per- parallel to each other. You see these sort of infinite reflections of Cobb and Ariadne, and then she touches the mirror and it shatters. And he goes like, "Ooh, nice," or "Good job," or he validates something that she did is special or cool or interesting. Um, and then she just keeps walking, and then the next part of that sequence is he realizes that they're in a real location, that she created something from a memory instead of something from scratch, and then they go into that topic of conversation. So, like I said, the previous conversation topic was these, these projections okay. and how, how they live in this world, and they, they basically don't know that they're in a dream world, until the until an architect or the dreamer or whoever starts changing things and then they're kind of then they kind of start looking for the thing that stands out, which is usually the person who's changing things, and then they sort of go attack, which is basically in my opinion them sort of realizing they're dreaming that the sort of reality uh, they don't ever sort of i guess fully realize that they're dreaming, but they do but but they're less plugged into the sort of status quo of the dream, if you know what I mean right. Right, right. They're, it's they're, it's they're, sort they're, of they they the analogy they use is like white blood cells. So it's sort of like they the brain recognizes there's an invasive uh, agent there. Yeah, and it starts it starts trying to fight it off. Yeah. So my my theory about the the mirror scene, and it's basically heavily predicated on the, on the topic of conversation, is the idea that that. Um, when when that they're talking about all these projections who don't know that they're in dream that they're sort of in a dream world they're going to the shops and they're doing all this stuff um when she creates the like infinite 
projections of themselves with the mirrors and then touches it and it sort of shatters. To me, it seems like the idea might be uh, the fact that, you know, something along the lines of all of the other projections in this world might be dreaming on their own accord, that just like Cobb and Ariadne are in and are dreaming and are conscious about it, that the projections might have their version of that. So almost the idea that, and then when they sort of create the versions of themselves, the idea that, you know, Cobb and Ariadne could be projections in someone's mind just as those projections are in their mind. Which is a lot to get okay. out of the mirror scene. Okay. Okay. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's such it's such like it's such a striking bit of imagery that you know it's hard not to try to do something with it i think yeah you know i just i, I don't know i i really uh uh when i was watching it i was just kind of blown away and so i didn't really try to think it through at the time and maybe if i watch it again i would i would get a better idea okay so what you're saying is um hold on. You so you're you're saying that they they're realizing that even the subconscious beings uh ooh have have their own have their own perception? Is that is that what you're saying? Something like that. And not not necessarily that they're real, you know, they don't comment about it, obviously, you know. I, I'm just trying to figure out what Nolan might be trying to tell us, other than this is a pretty shot. Uh, what he might be trying to say about the fact that she basically creates or, you know, shows infinite versions of themselves with these mirrors. And then when she sort of touches it, it sort of shatters, literally sort of shatters that reality of this inf- these infinite versions of themselves. So I feel like it's almost, and this is just me throwing in my own ideas, obviously, but but it's almost like she's on the verge of almost realizing that the difference between a dreamer and the and and a, and a projection is is really not much. You know, uh, okay. That that she you know she's 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 just created all these versions of themselves in this in this dream world, and it's like okay, are those are those versions of themselves tantamount to the projections? You know, and, and and since they are in this dream world, and of course the projections are in the dream world, and the projections don't know that they're dreaming, I think that says something about their place in the dream world. Mm-hmm. Because the you know the projections think the world is real. Yeah. You know. Right. Until they kind of realize it's you know something's up. Yes. 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 So that's that, that's my crazy theory about what that scene might mean. I, I don't think you know it's it's you know that's you know uh, what the characters realize necessarily or anything like that. They just kind of say, "Oh, that's cool," and they go along with the story. Yeah. But but I you know, Nolan to me doesn't seem like the kind of director who just does stuff to do stuff. And uh, and it, it it was such a such a very specific thing to do because it's not like they it's not like she like passed one mirror and then created another mirror or something. It just, all of a sudden, there's these, these two mirrors, and she's going to move them. You know, I'm just going to move this mirror, and I'm going to move this mirror. And it just was like, well, what? Why are there mirrors there in the first place? You know, and what, what, is make, you know, what makes her move them to create this, this, uh, this image? I don't know. 
Right, right. I guess, you know, to me, the the projections were, uh, you know, literally projections of the, you know, the subject's uh, subconscious. And so Mm -hmm. they're... There are images that appear, um, you know, because of this constructed world that's around, uh, that's that's put in the brain of the subject. But, you know, it, I, like, I guess I thought they were, you know, I, I didn't think, I, I basically did not think what you're saying is true. Mm-hmm. I guess I, I thought they really don't have any internal, um, you know, that they, they they're just, they they manifest themselves this way maybe just because visually it makes more sense or whatever. But the point of them uh, is really just they represent the subconscious and that's why they go they, you know they start they start uh, getting aggressive when uh, they realize that the subconscious has been invaded you know like collectively mm-hmm. you know because it just it just doesn't seem like they they have an individual will. Well, but I'm saying, but that's that's kind of my point is, their their well their their default nature is to act like the dream world is real, because you know, like you said, there are just their projections of the subconscious, but it's not like yeah. So to me, they're really like one thing, you know what I mean? They it, it's manifests a bunch of people, but it's really all just one entity, this one person subconscious. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Not a bunch of personalities. One personality, but a bunch of different, you know, things together represent that one personality. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's sort of how they behave. I mean, when they're in stasis, they behave like individuals, at least like from afar, that's what it looks like. You know, yeah. but I feel like that's just a representation of the subconscious being satisfied that, you know, things are kosher with the world they're in. You know, mm-hmm. but it's not a representation of the the individual personalities of the projections. Yeah, I can see that. Because I feel like they they only for you know except for the parts where they where they seem to be okay, you know they they pretty much just behave collectively. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't see any individual stand out. That's something that I might have liked in the movie, but they they really don't do that. Yeah. Well, Maul stands out. Right. But I feel like Maul's different. Because she stands out. <laughs> well, no, but I feel like Maul's, like, literally different from the subconscious projections. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I guess, you know, because it seems to me like the, the subconscious projections were, uh, were, were projections of the, of the subject, you know, but in the but but it was Leo's like the fact that he had this psychological trauma meant that he brought along some extra baggage with him. You know, like I would assume that you know the other people, if they had similar problems, you know, stuff from theirs could manifest as well. Mm-hmm. You know, but that's to me that's different from the sort of population. You know, mm-hmm. which is which is the subject subconscious. That's sort of these outsiders bringing their stuff in. Well, yeah, I mean, I think that's the whole. I mean, every uh, that's what I got from the movie is that everyone brought their stuff into the world. I, yeah, I mean, I think that's the idea, but I think it's only Leo that really uh, ever brings anything. Hmm. And and the rest of the time it's it's the host of the dream 
subconscious that's uh, that's manifesting the uh, you know the population, the people. Mm-hmm. You know, and that and that's why just because they're 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 the one that that's actually doing the the dreaming and and is, is inhabiting their their mind is inhabiting this world that's been constructed. Yeah. You know, for them, so they. So the population inhabiting it is just a representation of their subconscious accepting this stimulus, mm-hmm. you know, basically. So, but then, then there's the outsiders who go into that dream as well to do something, you know, steal secrets or inception in the case of the movie, and they might bring along stuff with them, but I feel like that's distinct from the you know, the subconscious of the, of the actual person. So I guess, yeah, I guess what I'm saying is if, if, Leon, uh, if, uh, if, if Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, made himself the subject of, uh, of a, of a thing, I feel like he'd have his own like population, his subconscious population. And, you know, well, I mean, that's, that's where they are in the mirror scene. They're in his mind. And so all of those people, oh, okay. all the projections are, are his projections. There you go. Yeah, and that, that's you, you know, the, and Maul is there too, of course. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's why he says, you know, when she's when she's saying the the projections are going to come after us, and he's like, no, just you. Yeah, yeah. So I guess yeah, what I'm trying to say is he he brings along he brings along Maul with him to other people's dreams, but he doesn't bring along his whole population, subconscious mm-hmm. people. You know, it's other people subconscious. At you know, depending on the dream, yeah. So like, so that's why I feel like Maul is different because I feel like she's uh, a manifestation of a specific issue that he's having, whereas the subconscious is just this general population that everybody has. Yeah, I can see that. But the idea that they all have individual personalities, like that's crazy. I mean, I. <laughs> Well, I, I wouldn't say that they necessarily have individual personalities, but just 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 the the, the idea of of re, uh, of, re, of being basically like you know sort of mirroring the the other the other stuff that's going on between dream reality of the fact that they are they are you know they're these projections in this dream world, assuming the dream world is reality, going along with it like it's reality. But they are also subject to realizing this is not quite reality when they are, you know, trying to attack the foreign body. Right. You know, they get sort of drawn out of that that idea that this is reality. Yes. Yeah, that's a problem. It is a problem. <laughs> what, what did you say? That's a problem or that's the problem? That's the problem. With them. What's the problem? That they, that they might realize... Uh, they might realize what's going on, yeah, and and turn against whoever's bringing in the, you know, mm-hmm. the stuff. Yes. So yeah, okay, okay. Um, uh, I mean, I you know, I, I think your interpretation is interesting. I, I guess yeah. I mean, I didn't I didn't take I didn't take the care those 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 people that way, but. Um, but that very well been could very well could have been what he was trying to say. I I don't know what he's trying to say. I doubt I'm right because it's such a weird thing. But I'm just I was just trying to piece together all the parts of that scene and and try to get some main idea out of there. And uh, since they're talking about the projections, realize you know basically uh, 
you know, uh, I don't want to say realizing they're dreaming, but the projections being drawn out of the reality of the dream world and having her sort of create these these infinite versions of, of the two subjects who are dreaming who are not projections, she's creating projections out of them. Uh, and uh, and then for whatever reason, she touches it and, and, and it shatters. Um, that's what my brain came up with, that crazy theory. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt like they, it was trying to say it was trying to say something about how they relate to that world in terms of the other projections. Yeah. Yeah. I see. But um, anything else? What are the other big things? Um, uh, I did. I did like how they played the resolution that he he tells his wife that who in limbo so it's not even his wife it's his projection of his wife mm-hmm. you know he eventually tells her like you're not good enough you're my version of you and you know uh uh i thought i thought that was nice uh i guess that's it finally hit me like that's it that's in lost <laughs> that's what that's what the problem with jack's son is I, that's why he's so like he needs to hear this one thing from Jack, and he just loves him forever after that. Like he's he's yeah. too simple, you know. Like that that's that's what makes him like a construct. Like he he just doesn't mm-hmm. have the he doesn't have the complexity of an actual person. Yeah, you know. So I think I think that's uh, I think it was good for him to actually say that. You know. Well, I think there was a huge realization for him to have and I, I think it works really well for the story that this idea that and he says it very well that you know as much as I imagine you be my wife all the perfections and imperfections I can't I, I can never get it right I can't make you her no matter what you know even though it's this dream world and, and it feels real I can't you're just an approximation of her and you're not really her and and you know realizing that is a huge deal yeah yeah yeah, because I again I I feel like that's that's you know because even though she is a special case and she is you know given much more personality than most of the projections, but it's like you know even she is sort of lacking to a certain extent, mm-hmm. you know, um, and so yeah I think uh, uh, that was uh, you know that was pretty that was pretty well played. What I didn't really understand, for example, just like how the details work, like they show you know, them in the real world. Like, so she, she ends up, I guess he, he plants in her mind the idea that, uh, the world she's living in is just a dream so that, you know, they'll go, uh, they'll go lay in front of the train and I get kicked out of the limbo. Right. Yeah. Okay. So then when she wakes up, that, that idea is still in her mind. So she still thinks she's dreaming. Mm-hmm. And so she ends up uh, killing herself because she thinks she's going to wake up. Okay, so I'm not. I'm. I'm. Yeah. At least I'm right so far. Okay, so the way they show it, she she goes out on a ledge uh, across the way from where he is. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't really understand how she got there, but okay, she's there, and she's she's like I. What did she say? I called the police or she filed a report. What did she do? She did something. So she did a couple of things. Number one is she 
She filed a letter with the lawyer, with their lawyer, saying, "I'm fearful of my husband. I think he might want to try to kill me. Something yeah. to that effect." Number two is, she got herself uh, certified sane by three separate psychologists. So basically, Leo would not have the option to just try to ration with police and tell people, "Hey, she was crazy," or "Hey, we did this idea," or "Hey." I incepted something in her mind or anything like that. Would say, well, these three psychologists independently say she was not crazy. So no, that was number two. And then three was she, you know, ransacked their hotel room to make it look like there was a fight or a struggle or something. Oh, they were so, in the hotel room. That was the hotel room, yeah. So, so what, she got the room across the street? Is that what happened? Well, the only reason I think that she's – there's two reasons I think she's across the street. <laughs> One is a filmmaking reason is I think it looks better. Okay. And number two, number two is a character reason for her, which I think pretty much works, that if she was on the ledge outside of her hotel room where he walks into, he could have just grabbed her and pulled her back in. Right. She wanted to be inaccessible to him. You know? Right. But then the problem to me is she's trying to pin it on him, and so, or at least, like, threaten him with, with being, you know, held accountable for her death. So... But but if she's jumping from across, I mean, can't they tell that she jumped from across the way where he was? Like, well, well I mean, can't I mean, they just figure out the trajectory and be like, okay, could, could he, they? Could they? Yes. Now, <laughs> would they? Would they say with all the evidence there? And Leo says, well, wait a minute, she jumped from across the other side, and they had all the other evidence, but the jury still not convict him. I don't know. But 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 could they? Yes. Okay. Um, I, I maybe they could, but I would also say you know they weren't that far apart to where the body you know it's reasonable that the body could have flung wherever it flung from that side versus the other side you know it, it, they weren't they, you know it wasn't like they were a hundred yards away or something or yeah and, you know it, they, they were close enough to where I think a medical examiner would have said she fell from the story above and you know. Right. But, but again, it wasn't. She wasn't trying to find him. But if she trying, if she went and rented the room across the way, I mean, they could find that out, you know. I and, don't think she necessarily even rented the room across the way. I don't know how she got say there wasn't a way to get over there. We didn't see off camera, you know. Okay. The, the built the two sides could have curved around or something, you know, uh, close together. So I, I don't really know how she got over there. But again, she wasn't trying to frame him. She was trying to, to give him reasons why he shouldn't stay in this fake world. You know, she's basically saying, hey, I'm going to jump, and I want you to come with me. And in order to make sure you don't try to stay here, I'm going to make it seem like you killed me. I'm going to make it – I'm going to give you reasons to come with me. Which is framing him. <laughs> I mean, Well, but I mean – but okay, yeah. But, I mean, she's not trying to frame him. She's trying to get him to come to the real world with her. Yeah, and in order to do that, she she does frame him. Yes, but I mean she, she's not trying to frame him as a mean man. She doesn't want to. She doesn't want to frame him for its own sake, but yeah, just because just out of spite or something. But yeah, she does. She okay, okay, all right, all right. So so okay. The other thing is like if she's someone who doesn't believe that she's living in the real world, whoever declared her sane didn't do a good job. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the kind of thing that kind of automatically makes you somewhat suspect in the sanity category if you don't think the world you're living in is the real world. Well, but obviously she went to the people and didn't tell them that. She went. She, she's playing the part, right? I understand, but still, they're supposed to be testing for that. Like, they should, you know, 
they 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 should if it's a good test for sanity, it shouldn't be something you can just like lie your way out of. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I I've never had a test like that. I can I can imagine they they ask her like do you believe this is the real world? And she says, yes. I mean, I don't. I, I, how else do you convince someone? Do you yeah. believe, how do you convince someone you believe this is the real world? I don't know. I don't know. Okay, that's all I got too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying, like, she is basically insane, and you know, those tests are supposed well, to figure that out. Here's the question, though. That's a, that's an interesting point you're trying to make. Uh, what is the definition of insanity? Because because it's is it is it just an incongruency between between reality and and what somebody thinks is that is that yeah. the baseline? I mean, r- roughly that's that usually something like that is is, is in there. What's strange is she she basically has a truth implanted in her mind that is that is a real truth. So it's basically like saying, you know, um, you know, I'm think you know we here think the sky is blue and all of a sudden we're on another planet. And that psychologist says, what caused the sky? And I say, the sky is blue. And they say, no, you're insane. The sky is red. But it's like, it's this weird thing where it, it is a truth. It's not, but it's an incongruency, which is the problem. You know, it's not like she made something up. It's, it, was a, it was sort of a truth that was true in a particular uh, yeah. reality, which, which just unfortunately is not the reality that is the real world. Uh, right. So, so right. yeah, that's, what, that's what's weird about it. So it's, She's insane to the degree that that uh, her views on life don't uh, are, aren't widespread. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, sanity is kind of relative. You know. Yeah. You yeah. know, it's it's the, the the sort of majority is held up as sane. Hey, sanity is relative. Let's leave your uncle Carl out of this. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Man, if you had an Uncle Carl, that'd be such a diss. It really was. Uh, yeah, that's. Uh, I, I in a way, I agree with you. Like in a way, she isn't insane. Mm-hmm. So, so I see what you mean. I guess what I'm saying is, by our normal definitions, I yeah. think she counts as insane. Yeah. You yeah. know, if if someone's going around saying this world isn't real, we're in a dream, we just got to die so we can wake up. Mm-hmm. I think that's. I think that pretty much heads you down the path of being insane. Yeah. You know, if, she if should, you really believe that. I agree. That. I mean, I, I guess, I guess, yeah, the psychologists didn't do, you know, they did their job. Did they get to the root of the problem? No. But um, I think, uh, you know, like I said, I've never taken a sanity test. Yeah. I don't know how you can prove it, uh, especially if you're not, you know, manic or you're not, uh, you know, if you're calm and collected and, and, and intelligent and uh, can carry conversation and can, answer certain questions uh, reasonably, I feel like you could pass that test. Uh, yes. Only, the only question that would make you fail is whether or not you believe you're in the real world. And that's something you can lie about. I don't know how you prove that otherwise. Yeah. Right. Without having just to answer that question. Right. Right. But, yeah, again, it was just really a setup for him to have no, you know, seemingly have no choice but to come with her. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it was a weird bit. It, again, it reminded me a little bit of Lost that that Sato, is it Sato or Saito? I, it's killing me with that AI thing. Yeah, I think it, I, I think I would say Sato because it's A first, so. Okay, but okay. Whatever. So Sato, 
basically claims, and it looks like it turns out to be true. He can just make a phone call, and uh, and Leonardo can just uh, you know mm-hmm. be swept through customs, even though he's yeah. sort of on the run um, because of this crime that they think he committed. So mm-hmm. so it's weird. Like, why why does this guy have that power? Like, it's you know, it's it's they don't really explain it. And and it's nice that he's just like, well, you can trust me or you can just never know, you know. Yeah. I uh I don't know why he is he's obviously a very powerful guy. He's he's you know, his main competitor is the company that is about to uh take over half of the world's energy supply. So he's pretty high up on the totem pole, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh so I I'll buy that he can make a phone call and and get pe- people to wave somebody through customs for uh you know, for something like that. Yeah. I kind of assume he got the charges dropped, but maybe it's just more simply that he got got him way through customs. Yeah, yeah. I, I kinda I kind of assume that too. I assume basically he he just made all of his troubles disappear in yeah. terms of legally speaking. Yeah. You know, because it, it definitely comes across like that, you know. Whether it's a dream world or not, it, it comes across like he's just going home and, and you know, everything's all right, you know, mm-hmm. there at least. Yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, it's a little not that great if, if he's still in trouble with the law at the end, right? Even if he gets home in the real yeah. world and he's still in trouble, like, that's that's really not safe, you know. Right, right. Yeah, no, that would be... That would be really bad. I also wondered about the Michael Caine character. He's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. He's supposed to be Maul's dad, or so that's Maul's dad. Okay, that's what I thought. So I guess he doesn't think that Leonardo DiCaprio killed her. Presumably, no. he certainly doesn't act like it. He never says, "I blame you for my daughter's death." He never says anything like that. I think he probably explained to Maul uh, to Michael Caine's character the inception and what happened and you know and i i want to imagine that while maul was dealing with these problems and wanting you know thinking that she wasn't in the real world before she kills herself i feel like the dad is probably aware aware of that and leo since they're seemingly friends um came to him and confessed or something at some point uh uh, or at least told him something about, you know, she's been having these problems ever since we left the dream world and blah, blah, blah. So so maybe by the time she killed herself, he was aware that she was having issues with reality or something, you know. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, he never he never is antagonistic about that, which is interesting. So here's a question people, people have brought up that I think they sort of, at least some people want to put this in the he's still dreaming at the end category. Is the fact that Michael Caine at the airport is mm-hmm. and, and takes him to the house to see the kids? Yeah. Uh, do you think that has any bearing on how we're supposed to view the ending? Uh. Ooh. Fuck. Since, since of course, when we first see his character, he's in Paris. He seems to, you know, be a professor at a school in Paris. Are you thinking? Or did I lose you? I think I lost you. Hmm. Wow, it's my time to vamp. I think we lost Justin. Wow, is this what it's like? Oh, now i got to find a news story. 
Well, since he's not on the phone, I'll say he's always wrong about everything, and I'm always right. I'll just say that off the bat. Oh, I kid. Um, let's see what's up news-wise. Oh, I'm back. Oh, you're back. Oh, I was going to go to the news report. No, I heard you vamping. It was great. Uh, I've, I've <laughs> never I've never got to hear that. I never dropped. Yeah. I accidentally just hit the hang-up button. Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah. Let's say hang-up. That was, I, yeah, I, it really works. Yeah. I verified my, my hang-up <laughs> button is functional. Nice. Oh, and it looks like my phone's running out of battery. Wow. Oh, what, cool. t- what timing? Okay, so I'm going to switch phones. Sorry for all this business. Um, so what was your question? Did you have does, one? Does the fact that Michael Caine oh, is, yeah. is at the airport at the end uh, have any bearing on how you view the ending? I'm going to say I'm going to say not much. Um, I guess uh, I'll just say how I view the ending. Yeah, let's talk about the ending. <laughs> Uh, so the ending, first of all, let me just say, nice. Uh, really uh, almost like a punchline kind of ending. Uh, mm-hmm. it, when I went to see it in the theater, it got a slight chuckle. People love, people People. People laugh at it. I think it's because they, I almost feel like that reaction is because it feels like a joke has been played on them. It does. Like, oh, all of this and we don't get a final answer. Yeah. <laughs> Joke's on us. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, and it, it has that component. But And, mm-hmm. and I, I'll admit, like, I find it a slightly amusing ending um, because it's so blatantly ambiguous, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. But um, uh, uh, my take on the ending is, is that basically for – Leonardo DiCaprio's character and for me as an audience member it doesn't actually matter uh what the what the top does which is to say it doesn't matter whether he's dreaming or not because mm-hmm. his problem that he started the movie with has been resolved you know and it's it's already been resolved sort of in in another dream world you know and so if he's going to live out a happy existence for you know the rest of his life in another dream world Okay, maybe that's not perfectly ideal, but he dealt with his big hang-up. And so to me, ultimately, it's a happy ending either way. And so so I, to me, I, I don't see it as a big deal whether or not the top drops. So that's why, you know, whether Michael Caine appearing doesn't really affect my interpretation of the ending mm-hmm. because that's what it is. Okay. You know, but if if I if I really wanted to get invested in is he dreaming or not, and I thought that was crucial, then I would say you know they do make a deal about the grandmother watching the kids, and Michael Caine's supposed to be in France, I think, mm-hmm. and the fact that he shows up and you never see the grandmother, it, it's a little weird. I mean, it's it's possible. I mean, he could have flown there to meet them, and the yeah. grandmother was shown kind of not like. Leonardo mm-hmm, mm-hmm. didn't so maybe she just didn't, you know, she just left or something because she knew he was coming. She didn't want to see him. Like it's it, what we saw is possible in the real world, you know. Yeah. But uh, but is it a clue? It, it maybe it could be. All right, an ambiguous answer to an ambiguous ending. <laughs> <laughs> well done, my friend. Um, yeah, I mean, I I pretty much. Build the same way in terms of Michael Caine's, uh, you know, I think it's, I think, like, you know, I'm all about reasonable answers, right? Reasonable right. questions and reasonable answers, and I think that's, it's very that reasonable is, that, that... If it's not, it should be on your business card. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, just yeah, reasonable answers for re- reasonable questions for reasonable prices. Call <laughs> call me. Um, so yeah, I mean, I feel like you know they presented his character as someone who likes Cobb and who's invested in him getting back to his kid and stuff like that. And I and I think you know again, like you said, with the grandmother not liking Cobb, I think it I think it would have been different and maybe too weird if if it's it's uh, the grandmother who is there to greet him when he comes back with the kids, mm-hmm. a character we've never seen before. Right. We've only heard her on the phone. We're seeing her in the last moments of the film. Yeah. She doesn't even like the guy. How is she going to be reacting? This happy moment, she's got a frown on her face. Yeah. You know, or she's got a, you know, she's not quite sure if this is going to work out. Or, you know, so that's a little weird to me. Yeah. I can see why they wouldn't want to do that. I think it makes sense that Michael Caine knows that, uh, Cobb is trying to get back to the kids and is invested in this big ordeal and wants to be there to take him to see the, the grandkids. Uh, right. It all works out. So, so I don't really think it, you know, again, I like you said, I think it um, is very plausible in the real world for that, for him to, to be there. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and, and some people might say, well, we didn't see a scene where he says he's going to fly to L.A. And I'm like, well... That's the kind of scene you'd cut out because it would yeah. ruin the moment. Where are you going to show that? Is in? that you a know, good the, scene to put in the movie? Does that really yeah, help? Yeah, yeah. Hey, Cobb, I'll meet you in LA. Like, when are we going to see that scene? How is yeah. it going to affect the pacing, right? Yeah, like if they, um, if they wrote that scene, that's that's one, that's a good one to cut. Yeah, totally. Um, and you know, he um, as an aside, um, uh, Nolan is just just. I mean, almost every scene is nice and tight. I love the the scene with Ariadne and her test. You know, like we see her in three scenes before she's on the thing, right? Like, like he uh, Cobb comes to Michael Caine and says, "Hey, mm-hmm. I need somebody who's a good architect." The next scene, we meet Ariadne, and Michael Caine says, "Hey, this guy has a job for you," and she goes, "Oh, okay." The third scene is he's giving her the maze test, and. He, he he basically says, you know, I need you to draw a, in one minute a maze that takes two minutes to finish, or I think that's or the other way around, one of those ways. And or yeah, yeah, I think that's what it is. And you have one minute to draw a maze that takes two minutes to finish. I think it's the other and, way around, actually. Oh, is it the other way around? Yeah, two minutes to draw a maze that takes one minute. Oh, okay. And so she draws something, it's not right. That was the first one. Next time she draws something, it's not right. Yeah. On the third try, guess what? She gets it right. Yeah. And uh, and then that's it. Like that. That's what the scene is. She. Audition they don't passed. Go, audition pass. Yeah. Nice and tight and short. You get the you get the point, and it's and it's over. So, I really I really enjoy that about uh, about the movie. How um, you know the scenes are very specific in what they're trying to tell you for the most part. And uh, and they get it done, and they and they move on. Right, and I guess I, I, I took from it that it kind of tells you uh, what what sorts of skills are useful in building the dream world. Yeah, you know. Um, uh, so like I like I, I just I took that as a as a clue of like the you know when you design some some dream world it, it's it's. That that you want to serve a particular function, it's kind of like, you know, drawing a maze that'll take a particular amount of time to solve. Yeah, exactly. And 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 uh, I think I think more to the point is the the idea of the projections. You know, they're basically it's like if they're going to do a heist, they're going to do an extraction. 
and they know that that they need 45 minutes of dream time. Well, they they need a they need basically a world created that reflects that. You know, if they're going to do some some in, uh, extraction or something, and it's going to take two weeks, you know, then some architect is going to need to design a world where the um, where the projections, if they ever get loose, you know, aren't necessarily going to just you know, are, are going to be lost in that maze for X amount of time before they can, uh, before they can find uh, the dreamers. Right. Uh, but in terms of the ending, my view on the ending is, um, again, I, I really enjoyed the ending. Is you know, when I was watching it, he he spun the top and he left, and you know, you know, the top is still spinning. And I thought, I immediately thought to myself, if he ends this movie with the top not, you know, we don't see the top topple or keep spinning. This is this is a great movie, you know. I'm like, this is going to be a great movie if he ends it like that. And then he ended it like that. I'm like, mm-hmm. well, thank you very much. And that's one of the reasons I knew I recommended you should watch it because I know you're super big on good endings, and yes. that's just that's just a you know it's a great ending. And um, I agree. I was worried too because the stuff they show before that, I was like, this is too cheesy for me. Mm-hmm. I'm not happy with this. Like it's it's over sentimental. Like. I just, I was like, I can't take this. I mean, okay, it's the end. He's happy, yay. Uh, but uh, that little bit, you know, that was really good. I have to admit. Yeah. And it, and and it's a, and it leaves you with something. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and that's the big thing. So, um, my view is he in a dream or not? I think you're you're absolutely right that it it technically doesn't matter. And that's one of the things that it showed me in terms of in terms of writing is it it, it doesn't matter if the character gets what the audience wants the character to get, it matters if the character gets what the character yeah. gets. And, and of course, the caveat there is the audience should be invested in the character or else, you know, there's nothing in it for the audience, right? Right. Because uh, <laughs> if the character gets what it wants and the audience doesn't get what they want and they don't like the character, then you just kind of ruin, you know, there's no Fail. point there. Yeah. Fail. So, but you know, you got to be invested in the story and the characters, and then the, then you can have whatever ending you want. It doesn't have to be what the audience wants or expects. Right. Um, so I think sometimes I was, they appreciate not necessarily getting what they want or expect. Oh, totally. Yeah, I, I think that's true. Um, so my my philosophy on the ending, in terms of if he's dreaming or not, I think I'm going to side that he's not dreaming. Um. Uh, partially because of, you know, little bitty things, but I think it, it's still up, you know, obviously there's there's no real way to tell. But uh, but if I had to, you know, gun to my head, if I had to say if he's dreaming or not, <laughs> you know, if he's dreaming or not, I, I feel like he's in the real world. You know, part yeah. of me thinks that the top would have never toppled to be get, started to topple if they if they were in a dream. You know, uh, yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't think we ever saw the top. You know, almost topple slightly. Yeah, yeah. It never, it never really did that. But yeah. I will, I will say it is, it is the ending of the movie. Mm-hmm. It's supposed to be ambiguous, so they're going to add that anyway. Right. Uh, yeah. So that's it's, that's part of it. It's subtle. It's, I yeah. was just going to say, like the gun to my head test. I agree. I would say it's the real world as well. Yeah. If, if uh, that's what I have to. But it, since I think it doesn't matter, I don't feel like too strongly about it. But I, I'm definitely pretty much in favor that it's yeah. the real world. One of the things, uh, uh, another thing I like about the movie, I think I said this off podcast, or, or I think, is that unlike a lot of movies that have ambiguous endings, at least the ones I can think about maybe, um, I feel like this movie show 
gives you the tools you need to decipher the ending if you choose to do so. And what, by that I mean, uh, obviously the top is part of that, trying to decipher what's going on with the top. But um, but there's but there's sort of like two. There's there's a previous scene. Uh, so so the other part of the ending that the other scene that's connected to to understanding the ending sort of explicitly is when Cobb goes to find Saito, uh, Sato, I don't know, in the. Uh, uh, in the in purgatory, and they're at the grand, they're in the grand ballroom, grand dining hall, whatever it's called. I call it grand because it looks fancy. <laughs> and <laughs> <laughs> if anybody's wondering why I keep saying that, it's just, it looks fancy. I don't know what else to call it. It's not a breakfast nook, you know. So. <laughs> right, uh, right. Yeah. You you probably don't have one of these in your in your you, kitchen area. No, you really don't. You really don't. Uh, and so when he's when they're in the scene, you know, the first scene, and then of course you come back to it, Leo has two objects. The only two things he has on him, the movie explicitly says, is the gun mm-hmm. and the top. Mm-hmm. The top is the means by which you decipher if you're dreaming, and the gun is your way out if you are, in fact, dreaming. Right. Okay, so they, so they, they set those two things up, that that's the two things that, that, he, ha- that, he, that he brought with him to, to Limbo. Okay. Now, we saw in another early scene, after the beginning extraction with Saito, after that early part of the movie, when, they, when Leo goes back to his hotel, you don't know what he's doing when you first see the movie, right? He puts a gun, to, he spins the top and puts a gun to his head. I remember thinking, why is he going to kill himself? I don't know why, you don't know why he's doing that. Yes. But of course, this is the, this is the dream test, right? Right. If that, if that top keeps spinning, He's going to shoot himself right. because he realizes he's still in the dream. So that's the tool that I think you're supposed to apply to the later part of the movie when they show this setup again. When basically, Saito and Leo are at the din- dining table. There's, the top is still spinning. It seemingly has been spinning that entire conversation that they've had, however long that's been. Mm-hmm. But you know they're you know they're dreaming, so of course it's going to keep spinning, right? Right. And then, and then the other, other bit of genius is you see Sato grab the gun, but you don't see what he does with it. Because I think if you would have saw him shoot himself or shoot Leo, you would have known one of them or both of them woke up. And that would change your opinion about the ending. Yeah. What, that's the thing I really like about the movie. It's, it's not just the last shot that makes the movie good. It's this previous scene that sets up a, another level of ambiguity about, about not, you know, the last scene is about, is he still dreaming? And then this scene is really about did they get out of the dream, which is sort of two different questions, but they, are, of course, are related. Yeah. Uh, so that's the other thing I really like. So you don't see him grab the gun. but you, I'm, I'm sorry, you don't see him use the gun, but you see him grab it. So the other thing that – so, like, a, my, my long-winded point is I think it's reasonable to assume they used the gun since we know that that's what Leo would have done because he did it before. And you know, we know that they know that they're dreaming – so I feel like it's reasonable to assume that they did use the gun and woke up. Mm-hmm. Therefore, at the end, that he should not be dreaming. Oh, okay. I see. That that was what you were getting at. <laughs> yeah, I know. It was a lot. <laughs> it's like, I have no idea where we're going, but uh, I'm on board. Okay. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. It does. Uh, um, uh, like, I, di- I didn't make that connection, but it, it makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's 
it's the kind of thing where, like I said, if you if you would have if you would have if you didn't see him grab the gun at all, it's it's really like the ending again. Topple versus you know wobble you know versus keep going. It's like if you didn't see him grab the gun, you could basically argue, well, we don't know what he did. He he didn't have it. You know, he didn't go for it. We don't we don't know what he did. Yeah, he did go for it. So he did seem like something was going to happen with it. So it's a little bit in that direction of going to use it. Right. Um, uh, but again, it's another bit of, of genius writing and I guess editing that you don't see what they did with it because that would heavily affect, or more heavily affect, I think the the last scene, you know. Right. Because you would have explicitly known that that they woke up from the limbo world. Yes. Yes. Which they which they don't want to totally give away. Yeah, they don't want to totally give it away. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so in general I think I feel like gun to my head, uh gun to my head, top on the table, right? Um <laughs> Yep. Gun to my head, I feel like, you know, uh he 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 is in the real world at the end. Um but I it's you know, you can argue both ways, I think, pretty successfully if you want, but I, I, I feel like that's the case. And largely because I want it to be the case because I, I want him to succeed. Um but I will say this. The kids look like they're wearing the same clothes that they're wearing when he has the the memory. Ah, uh, yes, the famous clothes issue. Yeah, and and all I can say is I I haven't seen the clothes side by side. I did pay attention to the color and the the print of the clothes. They do look the same. I would have to see them side by side to see if they are exactly the same. But um, other than that, I don't know any other big thing in the movie that really sort of suggests that they're still dream that he's still dreaming. Yeah. 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 But you know, I mean, I guess they could have been wearing exactly the same clothes as they did the day he left. I, I you know, that's that's you know, it's possible. Uh I don't know if it's probable, but it's possible. And I will say that uh in terms of the filmmaking aspect of it, again, if he would have gone the other way and put them in completely different clothes and that gives you another answer, right? Yeah. Then you say, "Oh well, look, the clothes are different." Exactly. Yeah, and also like stylistically, it works because the whole movie they've been showing the kids from the back with those clothes. Yeah, the filmmaking makes that work. I think because you, it it makes it makes it feel right that they are in those clothes. Yes, because it's it's like visual storytelling. It's like the kids that he's you know wanted to see their faces the whole movie. He's finally getting mm-hmm. to and yeah. it's so clear that you know it it it, visual, it it makes that sort of you know uh uh triumph for him like m- realized uh more fully that yeah because it's the same um, the same kind of dream or memory he's been reliving yeah but now he gets to sort of see the faces he actually yeah we get to see the the full you know the the completion of actually seeing their face so yeah it's just like it just in terms of like po- poetically like it, it works, you yeah. know better I think than having them like with distinct clothing or looking you know a lot older or something. Yeah. You know, so I I, I just I feel like um uh I I feel like that was just a good choice you know whatever you wanted to say but like you said if they you know if they made it totally clear that would be you know that would that would lose some of the qualities of the ending. Totally. So, so yeah, I, I, I wouldn't, I don't put too much on the clothes. I think there's enough reasons for it to be there 
that mm-hmm. aren't, you know, it's a it's a dream. The, and, yeah, that aren't trying to tell you how to view the ending. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. I think, and and then I think if that's the best thing you have that they're still dreaming, that he's still dreaming, then that's not a lot. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I, yeah, it's not it's not enough. I mean, there, you definitely need if you really if you really want you know to make that definitive, it needs to be something more than that. Yeah, because that's just, so, that's not conclusive. So you've read some stuff about the movie and what people think. I I remember reading this one crazy, uh, crazy theory about the movie. Now that I forget, because I thought it was awful. Oh, but uh, is it the uh, allegory? The theory? allegory theory? What's that? That that the whole movie is just an allegory for uh, making movies? Oh, that sounds like the worst thing ever. Oh, it's so bad. Uh, that's stupid. Uh, let's not even talk about that anymore. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Because I, I just remember my theory. And I've, I've heard this stupid. theory mentioned a lot. That's the only reason why I bring it up. Okay. I don't like it. Well, let's... I don't know what it what what is it. All right, I'll just say like basically the theory goes that as I said, the movie is just an allegory for for movie making. So basically, the dreams, the dreams are the movies, and uh, okay. So what 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 movies? Like movies in the abstract, like the concept of movies. <laughs> yeah, more or less. Yeah. <laughs> more. I mean, the the dreams are 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 a metaphor for a movie. Okay. Or a dream is a metaphor for a movie. Okay. You know, in the in the thing. So so Leonardo DiCaprio is the director. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why is he the director? Because he's sort of like the guy in charge. He's sort of making you know the general so plan. So that he's not always the dreamer. He's just just the director because of some other thing. Not because sometimes he's a dreamer. Yes. Yes. Okay. No. No, he's not the dreamer. No, no, no. Okay. Right. So every element of the movie doesn't work. First of all, this theory is wrong, but okay. Anyway, so he's, okay, and uh, let's see, uh, uh, Ellen Page's character, what is her name in the movie? Uh, Ariadne? Yes, Ariadne. Jesus Christ, what a mouthful the, that word is. The reason it's so crazy is because it's, uh, it's a Greek uh, character. Oh, okay. It's, uh, she's named after, I believe it's the Greek character who who saved um, somebody out of the labyrinth or, or out oh. of some big maze. She, she uh, like leads someone out. Yeah, it's a total. That's why her name is like totally anachronism. No one else has names like that except for her. Yeah. And because yeah. she's yeah, she's the Greek character who led some other Greek character out of the maze or labyrinth. Okay, okay. It's relevant to the story. Okay. Every time I hear it, I'm like, I'm like, oh, that name is a mouthful. I can never. Mm-hmm. Okay, Ariadne. Yikes. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, uh, right. So she is the screenwriter. <laughs> okay, because Ooh. she she creates the architecture of a movie, which is the script. Okay. okay? Uh, Arthur's character is is something like the assistant director or something the gopher I guess like the guy who like takes care of stuff like you know mm-hmm. for the director okay uh, the Tom Hardy character is the actor okay because he <laughs> he impersonates people okay so and uh, let's see who else is there oh uh, uh, what's his name the chemist guy he mm-hmm. is he's like the technical guy you know lighting or whatever you know he's not craft services no oh. <laughs> he's not craft services okay and uh, am I leaving anybody out 
Oh, Saito is a producer because he has the money. Okay. And, wow. And, wow. This is too good. And, uh, and uh, uh, Killian Murphy's character is the audience. Okay. Because they well, put the dream in his mind. And oh. and he ha- and and they give him this they make him have this emotion and so well, the whole movie is this metaphor for movies and their effect on people. Well, I think the whole movie is a metaphor about the educational system. Here's how: <laughs> Leo is the principal. <laughs> Gordon Levitt is the assistant principal. <laughs> Tom Hardy is a teacher. <laughs> Okay. And uh, Killian Murphy is a student, and they're mm-hmm. putting this knowledge in his mind mm-hmm. for it to change him. <laughs> I mean, come on. I mean, I just came up with that in 30 seconds. This is stupid. That's an awful theory. I have heard it mentioned all over the place. People seem to love it. Wow. Uh, People I... love a lot of stupid stuff. <laughs> I agree. I think it's completely ridiculous. People and love it, the tea I think I think the theory you just came up with is about as good as that. I mean, doesn't that just prove how all you have to do is find find some institution or or, or yes. set up and just connect the dots to who's what? Yes. You know. Yes. I I agree. It's yeah. That's what they did. I mean, you know. I think yeah. The problem with that theory is it's not intrinsically true. It's okay. Well, you can connect the dots and make this seem like it's something, but it doesn't yeah. mean that that is what it is just yeah. because you can connect those dots. Right. Right. Um, the other the the other theory I heard that I didn't really like was the idea that um, that I think this could have been a lesser movie uh, and, uh, idea. You know, uh, the idea that that all of this stuff. I think I, I think the idea is the whole movie takes place in 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 Cobb's mind, mm-hmm. and that he's actually in a mental institution because he was sort Uh-oh. of given yeah because he you know the Dave theory because he was either driven crazy or for some you know because of his his wife really died or something he couldn't let her go uh-huh. so okay. they so they so they devised this inception. To basically make him let go of his wife. Ah. So that in the real world, which we never see the entire movie, that's the whole. That's my problem with this story. With this theory is, right. it's basically saying we never see the real world. Yes. In the whole movie, and I think, as in terms of storytelling, I think that's bad. I think you definitely need to in any world where there's reality and a non-reality. I think you need to ground your audience in something because otherwise, the only way if the only way you can view a movie is to step back from it and say, and, and add something to it to understand the movie, I think something's wrong with your theory. You know, I think it's, yeah. that's, you know, it's just, it's just weird to me to be like, the only way you can understand his inception is for you to guess that he's in a mental institution. And that, right. you know what I mean? Like that should there's, not be the point of the movie. It's for us to step back from the movie and try to encapsulate in something that we bring from ourselves. I feel like, yes. again, the movie is expertly giving us all the clues we need to understand what's going on. Right. So there's, there's actually no clues in the movie whatsoever that he's in a mental institution. Yeah, there's all no time. clues. The only it's thing, not you know, the like, only... for example, spoiler alert, identity, where mm-hmm. they specifically tell you certain things before the reveal that 
you know, point in that direction. And also, and then, they tell you specifically that's what's happening. And then, of course, they go to the real world, right? Yeah, I mean, they, exactly. they go to the real world and they show, yeah, it'd be like if identity was nothing but the first part of the movie. Yeah. And then, you know, everyone dies off or something. And then yeah. at the end of the movie, you're supposed to say, you know what? <laughs> I bet those are all part of this one guy's psyche that we right. never saw. You know, like. Right, right. <laughs> that's yeah, just not the I'm, way to view a movie, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and I and if the theory makes this movie a sort of different take on the idea of identity, I, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, leaving aside whether the, whether the theory is right or not, it's just I just it's just bad. It's just you can you can do again with the with the with the metaphor movie metaphor movies uh, theory and with this right. uh, he's in a he's in a, the we never see the real world theory. You can do that with any movie. Star Wars. You know what? I think that all takes place in Luke's mind. There you go. You know, I think he. I think you know he got hit in the head mm-hmm. and he dreamed all this, and we never see him wake up from the dream. Hey, and, it and that's it. Yeah, just right? prove it. Show me. Show me how you're wrong. Yeah, prove me wrong, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing you can just say, and I think yeah. people tend to do that. Like whenever there's any element of ambiguity. Uh, yeah. in something. People just fill that in with whatever they want, you know, mm-hmm. whatever they concoct in their minds that, that fits there. Exactly. But, it, but it's it's yeah. not really there, you know. Yeah, and that's, again, like I'll say again, I feel like that's what's cool about Inception is it, I feel like it shows you, it gives you the tools. Because, yeah, at the end of the movie, you it is ambiguous, and you go, you're looking for answers, and I think the movie has the answers. It's, the movie is not trying to tell you to figure out the answers for yourself. You know, in, in, in terms of sort of, well, obviously it wants you to come up with your own conclusion. I think, I think yeah, and is, I think it wants you to think about certain things on your own. But yeah. but I think in terms of the story, absolutely, it's, it's yeah, it's not it's not te- yeah exactly. In terms of the story, it's not telling you it's not or I think eliciting you eliciting you to to figure out some way that the story makes sense on your own. I think the movie gives you all the clues for for the story to make sense. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I feel like, you know, you can come away at the movie and you can think about, you can think about dreams, you can think about the idea, I guess, it's kind of interesting to me, like the idea of influencing someone, like mm-hmm. leading them to a particular conclusion, you know, and they, they you know, they make this very literal, but, you know, you you do this in, in mild ways in, in, in life normally, and, you know, how that affects someone, you know, how that can change someone's life to sort of just point them in a particular direction, you know, by telling them something. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I, I feel like you know they they sidestep the ethics issue because it really does look like it's good for Killian Murphy that this happens, you know. Yeah. But but like in general, you know, the idea of going in and planting an idea in someone's mind, I mean, it it's something that you know isn't necessarily a good thing. Well, and Cobb knows that from firsthand experience, right? Yes. <laughs> That is that inception is is a very dangerous thing and and they they that's the first point that's the first lines of the movie except for you know and except for the scene that they show at the end you know is, is he he says you know what's the most um what is, I forgot the lines but basically he's talking about an idea being like a virus right and and implanting itself so yeah I mean I think that's that's definitely the case yeah yeah. And so I think, you know, like the general concepts that the movie deals with, um, uh, you know, I think I think it, it lets you think about those and decide what you think about them. 
but because uh-huh. I don't think the movie takes like a strong position on these things. I think it kind of just presents them, and you know the characters have their own point of view. But it doesn't feel like the movie's trying to tell you we should think this way or that way about this. Yeah, and again, that's one of the things I really liked about about the movie in terms, you know, they are implanting this idea in Killian's character that he needs to break up his father's company. And like you said, they, they sort of sidestep the ethics issue of all of this because it is a positive idea. And the movie explicitly says, hey, we need a positive idea. Because when they're right. having the brainstorming discussion about how to simplify the idea, you know, they, he basically says that, a, a po- you know, people are looking for catharsis, you know, ultimately, and a positive idea trumps a negative idea. So they could, like, you know, they could have implanted, incepted in his mind, you know, your father never loved you, you know. And then at the end of the movie, they would have successfully made this guy feel like mm-hmm. his father never loved And it's like, how can you walk away as an audience member and, and sort of be okay with what right. the, these characters did after they made this guy sort of feel like this? But they gave him a positive uh, idea, and so, yeah, so they kind of get away with the ethics of, well, he's going to go and sort of break up this company right. and all this stuff, and he wouldn't have done that normally. And so, you know, it's kind of not right to do that. But nevertheless, they gave him a new life and a new look, you know, perspective on his father that's totally based in falsehoods. Right. Like nevertheless, he's, it's just as true as anything else. Yeah. Like, he's he's concocted um, an image in his subconscious of what his father's feelings about him were. Like mm-hmm. just completely, like he's just made that up for himself, and and he's gonna he's gonna on some level believe that from now on, you know. And so yeah. They've, they've made him to a certain extent lie to himself about his relationship with his dad, but but at the same time, it's it's sort of not it's convincing. It's a happy lie. Yeah, it's not convincing that that's bad because it seems like his father was an ass. So well, and like, that's the thing we don't we don't really know what his father said on his deathbed. All the, because Killian says all I can make out was disappointed. Mm-hmm. I mean. That's any, you know, any, you could have said anything in that, you know. Um, you know, he could have said, uh, you know, I'm lying on this hospital bed and this is really disappointing. You know, like that's, he could, <laughs> sure. have been, it could have been something about his sure. own mortality that was disappointing to him. Or who knows what the subject was. So they left that ambiguous in a very realistic way. He fills way. that in. And he fills it in. And, uh, but yeah, and I think to to some degree he might have, he might have some, some half remembered, uh, um, memory of what his father's last words were now. Mm-hmm. You know, if, some, if somebody asked him what his last words were, it might be, you know, I'm disappointed you didn't, yeah. uh, you know, you tried to be like me. Yeah. And that's, of course, not really what happened. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's really well done the way they, they get his, him to feet they, they put the idea in his mind bit by bit and get 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 it to sort of snowball and um, and feed uh, feed on itself, and then uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah, because I guess I feel like a lot of stories are uh, involve manipulation, you know, mm-hmm. and I feel like this took that, you know, and really made it like to, like specifically the object, you know, the goal of the movie was was to manipulate him on a deep subconscious level, and. And 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 so it gives you it gives you this like visualization of you know this basic idea and drama of getting a character to do what you want by you know influencing them in some way. So I just mm-hmm. I mean to me he, he really hit on like a fundamental like 
you know, thing about um, a fundamental thing about drama uh, and, and sort of like visualized it. And I feel like that's, you know, that's one of the things I like about the movie. Like it just, it, yeah. it's, it's, it's interesting to me to actually, uh, to actually see, you know, this thing that's sort of like going on in the background, like this, this abstract concept that's kind of going on in the background of almost all movies, um, you know, made mm-hmm. the specific literal subject of a movie itself. Yeah. Yeah, and I, that to me is the brilliance of the movie. That's, you know, it is an action movie. It's a heist movie. It's got these other sort of uh, elements we've seen before, but but the, but the premise and how he approaches it, I think, is, is pretty spectacular. Something, you know, as many movies as we've seen, sort of never seen before. Of course, it's got elements of other films. What film doesn't? You know, yeah, but, th- uh, yeah. This movie made me think of a lot of other movies. Mm-hmm. I uh, not to say not to say it's a big ripoff of other movies. It's just uh, it just it just had like small things in common with a lot of things. Yeah. Whether it's just a shot or a simple part of the story or a character or something like that. There's just there's just a lot going on in the movie. Yeah. You know and. Um, uh, and I've seen him, Christopher Nolan, that is like sort of acknowledge that that's you know <laughs> that he he you know he he does he does specifically take certain things that he likes from other stuff. I mean everybody does that. Yeah, totally. You know, um, uh, I I would say uh, I would say that you know the the fact that you know dreams dreams are, it's, it's such a free kind of concept you can do so much with it and i think there have been a lot of movies that have done a lot of things with dreams and i have to say in terms of movies that show dreams uh i don't think the dreams in this movie are are the best dreams i've seen in a movie mm-hmm. you know um i think it's it's uh the way the dreams are layered together you know i think the time concept is really nicely done you know, yeah, totally. um, uh, I don't really, uh, I don't really, it's it, like the way they stage the climax as going on in these different levels with different timescales is just, to me, that's the kind of touch that, you know, really puts, really puts a movie over the top. Like yeah, that, to that level of, of detail and understand and, and understanding how the story works together with, with the different time periods going on, uh, and and what I really like, he mentioned um, in an interview that he's never used slow motion before because he's never seen it. He's never seen how it can be applicable applicable to the story. You know, oh, slow okay. motion is just sort of a visual effect. You know, yes. for for whatever you know for whatever you're doing, but it doesn't really sort of add to the story. But he found a way to use slow motion that was a product of the story. Yeah. And you, so you see that man falling for all that uh. time. And it's great. It's totally great. You totally, you totally understand what's going on. You totally get it. You do. And it's great that he manages to pull suspense out of a van falling off a bridge for so mm-hmm. long. Mm-hmm. You know, because you see it getting closer and closer. And it's like just a little bit above the water. And it's like... I, yeah, yeah, I know. A couple inches above the water, and two, two or three levels down, they have another hour. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah, it's just it's ridiculous, and you get to, and it, it actually adds to the excitement. And I feel like that's you know, as far as like an action movie concept, you know, that's that's pretty much off the charts. Like I, yeah. I, that's delivering way more than an action movie needs to. 
Yeah. You know, and I think that's, to me, that's, like, probably the most exciting bit of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just, I, I, I really liked that. Even though the ice station level was a bit disappointing, uh, the way they juxtaposed the, the three and then, of course, the limbo bit, um, you know, was just uh, uh, just a great idea. Yeah. You know, and and the execution of the other three bits were were, were all quite good. You know, I enjoyed the the Joseph Gordon-Levitt hotel uh, floating. Yeah, you gotta stuff. love that. Yeah, that was that was all really good, and uh, and of course the van as we just talked about, um, mm-hmm. and Limbo was definitely interesting. So you know, uh, and and really the ice the ice ca- the ice fortress had had elements that were interesting. It's just it's just there were certain parts of the action that were kind of tedious. I almost feel like it was just too much going on there. Yeah. I mean, and I don't know why Tom Hardy's character was so good at killing all those projections. Mhm. I Because I, I think in that they're they're in uh they're in Killian's mind, right? Like it's his dream world, but he doesn't know it's his dream world. Yeah. And yeah. so it, I I don't know why he was so good at just killing all those guys and never getting hit. I, except that he trained to do that or something. Mm-hmm. But but that that's one of the things I didn't really get. Like wow, all these people shooting at you and you're just you're just bobbing and weaving and you're too good. Like right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. It is weird. Like you know, because they do they do kind of have the problem that it's a dream world and they set up that if you die you wake up. So you know that kind of takes the stakes away. And so they have to do a little bit of a dance to bring the stakes back. Well, the stakes, the main stakes in that part is they, they raise the stakes by being sedated and right. saying, if you get killed, you can be lost in limbo. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I remember when the movie first started and they say, you, you kill yourself in the dream and you just wake up. It's like, well, okay. And then, yeah. and then, of course, they're like, "Well, if you're in pain and you won't wake up and all that, that kind of that kind of has some some issues that yeah. works dramatically." But but yeah, definitely the whole, the whole you get you shoot yourself and you wake up definitely takes the stakes off the top. But then, like I said, the main heist uh, being sedated puts them back in, in in a worse situation. Right. And so I guess the idea is. You'll you'll if you get killed under this heavy sedation, you'll go to limbo. But it's uh, but ba- and basically in the real world when the sedation wears off, if you're still in limbo, then you will sort of uh, I guess appear like you're in a coma or something like that. That's, yeah. that's how, I, how I how I viewed it. Me too. But I guess what happened was he got him out of limbo basically when the sedation wore off. Yeah. So that he just sort of woke up when everyone else woke up. Yeah. Because he killed himself in limbo. Right. Uh, And I guess the other idea is that if he had a totem with him when he went to limbo, maybe he could have realized he was dreaming or something. But, Mm -hmm. you know, he he didn't go in with a totem at all. Right. Yeah, the totem thing is weird anyway. We were talking about that earlier. You know, she has her little totem. I guess the idea is it's got a particular weight and... You know the way she would test a dream is she would just knock it over and and see if it fell the same way or, or mm-hmm. something. I don't know, but something like that. Yeah, the top was the best one. <laughs> I yeah. I mean, of course they give the the main character yeah. the best one, but 
Uh, yeah, I mean, same thing with those. I still don't understand why the Dream World can't have a lopsided chess piece, you know. But well, I think the idea is it it can have it lopsided, but like, why wouldn't the it idea? make the same chess piece? So I guess the idea. Well, what's weird is how do they bring them in with them anyway? Well, exactly. Like I thought. I thought they were essentially projections, mm-hmm. you know, in they the same world. And so if they're projections, I feel like they should have the same qualities they have in the real world, so just to say the same is, way. This is what I'll say, is, as far as I can tell, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt doesn't want Ariadne to hold his loaded die because he says, well, if you know the weight of my die, then basically I think if, if he wouldn't be able to tell if he's in her dream or not. Yeah. But I don't see how that gets him out of knowing he's in his dream. Right, exactly. I don't either. It seems like it's a way to prevent you from being in someone else's dream. Right. So maybe that maybe that's all those totems. I do. guess, but like, uh, is the dreamer providing you with the totem? Like, if if she, I guess well, no, she's your own projection. Yeah. So I don't understand why why isn't your projection accurate? Oh, I don't know. A little bit. Um, yeah, I, I, I'd have to see that part again. I don't know exactly what they were saying, but um, um, e, why isn't it? If it's, hmm. Like I, I mean, that was supposed to be some kind of information. Like you, I can't show you my totem because you know then you you might make one just like this and then I won't know. Mhm. You know, but I it just it seems like that doesn't really that doesn't really explain the totems. It it tells you something about how they work, I guess, but Mhm. But but it seems like that's telling you that the totems are made by the dreamer. You know, but then it's like, well, then they have to know about them to a certain extent, you know. Like, do they just know sort of what they look like? Is that the idea? And they make some, like, perfect version? And I, I, I guess. I, I, mm. It's weird. Mm. Cause it, it, seems like, it seems like that's really coming from them, not from the dreamer. But Yeah. I mean, I think it should. I'm trying to think of when we saw. When we saw the totems, it's almost like where do we see the totems that were actually in the dream world? Like where where in the top did we see it? I know I know obviously when the wife had it. I'm trying to think of when Leo had had the top when we knew it was the dream world. Obviously the limbo part. Limbo part, yeah. Oh, did he have it? Okay, yeah, yeah. I don't remember. I feel like we never saw him have the top when he was in someone else's dream. Okay. Well, if he doesn't have the top at all, it's not very useful. Yeah. Because we definitely saw him have the top when he wasn't dreaming. Yes. Um, yeah, there's a there's a real-world version of the top. I feel like that's pretty clearly true. And, yeah. And I feel like it's not... It doesn't work... As for what it's supposed to do if they don't have it in all their dreams. Yeah. Whether, whether it's theirs or not. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to, hmm. 
I mean, they don't necessarily show it in all those dreams. I'd have to see that scene again when he's talking about the the totem. Because it did seem like the point was to tell if you're dreaming or not. But it seems like there's also some point about knowing whether or not you're in someone else's dream. Because like you said, you you know, if if you're bringing in your totem, I don't know. And, And, yeah, I don't know why... You know, it's, the, the, I think the top thing works best because of, for whatever reason, it keeps spinning if you're in a dream, no matter whose dream it is. Yeah. But, but I, but I feel like the die, like if you know how the weight of it, and you're in either your dream or someone else's dream, and it's there, why is it not the weight that you're used to? Right. It seems like they're saying, and if if you're dreaming, it's not going to be that weight. Right. But, you know, those kind of things, you know, they're like, they're sort of like reality checks. You know, I remember reading about lucid dreaming and one of the reality checks you can do is is to look at your hand, you know. So, you know, when you're trying to train yourself to, to, to lucid dream, uh, you, you're supposed to do reality checks periodically throughout the day to train yourself to also, so that you'll sort of naturally do them when you're dreaming. And one of the, you can look at your hand or something or look at a watch you know, when you, in, in a dream, if you look at your hand, you look at a watch or a clock, they don't look right. You know what I mean? It, it's, you, you can maybe tell what time it is, but they don't kind of look right. And so maybe that's, maybe that's just the idea of those totems that you, if you had it in your hand in a dream, it just, it just wouldn't be the right weight. You just would somehow, since you're focusing on telling what the weight is, you know what I mean? Like, if you, if you just had it in your hand and you weren't trying to decipher it was a dream, you wouldn't notice anything about it. Just like, you know, you're going along with the dream anyway. But if you're trying to discern if you're dreaming, you're paying attention to the weight of that, and it's just not going to be the same weight. I don't know why, though. (laughs) I don't know why. It's just not going to be the same weight. Yes, yes, yes. I, I mean, I didn't either. You know, that was one of my questions, but, I mean, their function is clear. It's clear what it means when he spins the top. You know, mm-hmm. so like on a on a on a just basic level, it, it works for the movie, and it's also just a good image. You know, so like uh, I didn't really get hung up on it until after the movie. Yeah, where I was like, okay, how does that actually work? You know, but when when you're just watching it, I feel like it's it's you get what it's supposed to do, and you just kind of buy into it. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, anything else for uh, Inception? Uh, let's see. Is there something else I wanted to say about it? I feel like there must be. Let me think. Must there be? It's been three hours. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, yeah, this is the second level of the dream world where time is... Uh... <laughs> Time is going on longer uh, than in the real okay. world. Okay, I did. I thought it felt like it just kind of breezed by, so I felt like we hadn't covered enough. But are you sure you're not dreaming? <laughs> I'm not. Where's your top? I don't have a top. Oh. I'm, then I'm, you'll never know. I'm never gonna know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, that would be pretty crazy, though, if like you know, in this, in our real world, in our real, real reality, if if when we die, we wake up somewhere else. Yes, 
I not think in, I, it's not until then that we realize we've been dreaming this whole time. Right, right. I I think that's one of the ideas that the movie leaves you with. Oh, totally. You know, um, uh, which is interesting because it's true. Like you don't really know, and you and you have uh, you have Ma, Ma, I want to call her Mal. You have Mal. Uh, uh, general General Mal. <laughs> Uh, you have Ma, uh, uh, you know, basically killing herself, thinking she's going to wake up, and you can't really prove her wrong. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I mean, our, our grasp on what's real is really quite relative in the end. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can either live with it or go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Or go crazy trying to live with it. Or both, sure. <laughs> that works. But, yeah. yeah, I would say, you know, um, if you have reasonable expectations for what you're getting into, which is not to under, you know, sell it, it's quite good. But, you know, just don't expect the greatest sci-fi movie you've ever seen. It's not really that. But for a summer blockbuster, for an action movie, for a heist mm-hmm. movie, for a sci-fi action movie, I mean, it's it's uh, it's quite for good. An, yeah, for an original story that feels original, that's well told and well executed, and uh, yeah, I mean, I you know, I I'm big on on uh, tempering expectations and with movies, and I you know, I and I kind of hate when movies get a lot of hype and and people leave and say, oh, this is the best movie ever, and it's it's an appropriate sentiment in terms of how people might like the movie, but then that gets translated into people actually thinking they're going to go see the best movie they've ever seen. And, you know, because people exaggerate when they talk about things, you know, uh, you can say, I loved it. And really you just kind of liked it a lot, you know, or something, but it's, uh, it it gets a little, a little unfair. I think, Uh, you know, you know, somebody on Twitter was like, yeah, Inception just saw it. It's overrated. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, but but did you like it or not? Maybe it's okay. Maybe it's getting more press or praise than it's due. That doesn't mean yes. it's a good or bad movie, right? You know. Right. And then they were like, oh no, I like the movie. <laughs> it's just not what people, you know. They just yes. said it wasn't what people claimed it was. Right. Was like, well, that you know, you can't bring in people's external expectations when you go see stuff because yeah, that's going to change how you view it. You know, you you know, you, your your favorite movie can be ruined by something like that. Right. You know, right. oh, I would love this otherwise if, you know, if someone didn't tell me it was the best thing I was ever going to see. And I, yeah. and I watched it, and it's really good, but, you know. Yes. Yeah, I don't think that stuff is ever really a good thing. I'm going to agree, at least from the, like, outrageous praise that I've read. I do think it is overrated, but but that's, I mean, just, you know, that's just something that I see as, as you know, just, just kind of a fact. It, it doesn't really affect how good the movie is. Yeah, it doesn't mean the movie doesn't deserve, I guess, to to be overrated or deserve a very high rating or something. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. The movie deserves praise. I mean, for this time of year and the kind of movie it is, uh, they could have given a lot less. Yeah. They could have done a lot less and probably had, you know, just as much success. But I I, I think, uh, yeah, you know, I think they went, you know, above and beyond – in terms of crafting a pretty intricate uh, story for, you know, uh, for delivering, you know, a certain amount of, of you know, classic, like, movie uh, action sequences. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and so it, it, it combines like high concept, really intricate plot work with, you know, very, very standard, like summer blockbuster stuff. And, uh, in that way, it's, uh, uh, it, it's much more than I, you know, it's in a way, even though it was overhyped for me, it, it was actually a lot better than I expected. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I had I had lower expectations. I thought that I would be deeply disappointed with it, but uh, but I actually liked it. I actually thought there was a lot of good about it. Yeah, and um, and I I definitely uh, I definitely recommend it. You know, as long as you as long as you don't you know try to you know try to just uh, listen to the what everyone else is saying. Yeah, I like how we have this whole section at the end telling people they should see it, but it's like if you listen this far, <laughs> oh, you're right. You're right. You shouldn't have. You should not have heard this. No one should see this movie because they heard this part. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fuck. Fuck. So, I guess. There, so if you're listening to this, you probably already agree with this. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, we should yeah. have said that part at the beginning, I guess, before the spoilers. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, anyway, yeah, uh, you've already seen it, so you, you, I guess you know what you think about it. <laughs> so we can't really do you much of a service at this point in the podcast. But uh, no. Uh, but yeah, I'll just say, you know, I think I think praise is is deserved, um, and I think you know when people get a movie that's this good in this context, I think it's easy to slip into overpraising it. Oh, Cause, totally. Because it's just so much more than you expect, mm-hmm. you know, from a from a movie like this. And I, I thought, yeah. so I, I just, uh, uh, you know, I think The Dark Knight had a similar kind of thing going for it. Like, it just delivered a lot more than it needed to. And yeah. and so it became like the greatest movie ever, you know, but it's not that good, but it is a lot better than it should have been. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, so I, I think, you know, he's he's Christopher Nolan is has sort of has sort of turned into the you know, the uh the interesting blockbuster guy. Yeah. Uh, which is, a, I, it's sort of like he's turning into, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know what the model is for someone like him. It's, it's there, a weird there niche. Someone, I, I feel like there's maybe one or two people I could think of that might be like that, where you get these big movies that are really well done. Maybe James Cameron, okay. sort of. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, he's got, yeah. No one has a, he's got his own thing going on, and he, he definitely knows how to make a movie, and... I'm, you know, it's kind of nice to see, you know, someone who's actually writing the movies, directing the stuff, and it'd be Absolutely. really good. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it's it's actually, you know, he gets mega budgets because he's successful and he can actually, you know, uh, get a hold of that much money to make a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really is, you know, he, I think, I think, uh, that's the other thing I was going to say, like, I, I do feel like the movie is a little bit exposition heavy, it feels it feels like some of that goes on a bit too long and it's a bit too uh overloaded with that. I mean I know they have to explain to a certain extent, but it I, I do think some of that felt a bit clunky and I think that that's you know, that's when they when they go over the top in terms of exposition, it's when I start to feel like he's you know, he's acknowledging that he's making a, a movie, you know, for, for everyone. Mm-hmm. And he wants to make sure everyone's along for the ride, but I think he could have dialed that back, and it would still be followable. Yeah, he's definitely trying to make. I mean, that's another thing you can praise him for is making a movie 
a sci-fi movie, really, sort of a uh, minorly sci-fi movie that uh, appeals to a very wide audience. Uh, but, you know, I think that is the, the model of the heist movie, to be heavy on exposition. Yeah. Because you're, you're explaining every and, and, and especially, you know, because the characters who are in the movie, uh, as opposed to somewhere else, um, need to understand what's going on. You know, when they get to uh, the first level of the dream world and stuff isn't how they plan, they all talk about why isn't it how we plan? Whose fault is mm-hmm. it? Oh, I didn't do the research. You didn't do the research. Okay, well, how are we going to get out of this? Okay, you can't kill them because of... So I think the exposition is, is there, but it's, it's part of the story. You know what I mean? Like, it's not... It's, I don't think there's any empty exposition. There might be too much, but I don't think there's any yes. empty exposition. Yes, I, I, I agree it wasn't empty. I, I To me, it was too much at times. Not all of it. Some of it mm-hmm. needed to be there. But, yeah, I definitely felt over-explained a few times. It, it's funny because they, as much exposition as they have, they leave out a lot. Yeah. You know, like, there's a lot of details that are totally not fleshed out mm-hmm. at all. I mean, the, just this technology. I mean, it's crazy. And they, they really... never – I love that they <laughs> never explain how it works. You have to sort of – a. You, you know, I have to, I basically imagine, you know, somebody asked me, well, how does the, you know, machine know who's the dreamer and who's the architect and who's the this and who's the, and I just have to assume that, the, you know, the, the, the machine has certain inputs, like a computer, and mm-hmm. they're, they're connected by the, by the IVs, you know, and who's ever on number one is the dreamer, who's ever on number two mm-hmm. is blah, 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 you know, and like that, there is some sort of rule and and technicalities to how the machine works, but it's yeah. Again, it's it's nice that he didn't go into how the machine works because it opens it up to more scrutiny, right? You know, and more plot holes to say, well, you said it worked like this, mm-hmm. and seen it work like that, and right? <laughs> right. But like that's that's a good example of something that I don't necessarily need to know. The movie works fine without it. Yeah. You know, and of course it's not in there, so. Clearly it does, but yeah, I just uh, uh, it's 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 a nice trick he pulls. So he really makes you feel like you understand everything, but he doesn't tell you everything. Mm-hmm. You know, there's it's 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 nicely done. I um, I uh, I've been I I feel like I need to uh, I need to watch Memento again at some point. Yeah, I I decided to to do a whole Nolan fest and rewatch all his films. And uh, I started rewatching Following last night. Oh yeah. And uh, so I got to finish that. But um, it's uh, the the only movie of his. Uh, you know, I could rank his movies, I guess. But the the two that aren't that great for me, one he didn't write, which was uh, Insomnia, mm-hmm. and uh, the other one uh, that is not his own source material again is Batman Begins. Right. Uh, so those are two. Those are those are my two least favorite that I will be rewatching to see what I can get out of them now. But uh, but Memento and Following and Inception are great, and Dark Knight's really really good. And um, am I missing one? Oh, and The Prestige I haven't seen at all, so I'm gonna have to watch that. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh. Yeah, I uh I haven't seen the prestige. Uh I hated Insomnia, but I haven't seen it since it came out. I did not like it at all myself, but I, I feel like, well, I'm missing something good, right? <laughs> There's gotta be something 
looking good in there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I remember it getting somewhat good reviews. I just, mm-hmm. I just, I just didn't like watching it. It was, it was just kind of miserable. Well, as you know, as I say, insomnia it put me to sleep. <laughs> right. <sighs> yes, the classic review. The classic three word review, yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, uh, Memento was definitely the the first one I saw. I know, I still haven't seen the following. Um, uh, I think it's the best movie ever. I think Memento is probably um, uh, it's the one that to me seems like closest in a way to Inception, even though of totally. course it's it's a very different kind of movie. But they but I feel like the the two share the most in common, and that it's it's about you know this guy's memories and and it, you know it has this kind of intricate plot because of the way it's told and I I feel like that's that that's the closest to like a warm up for Inception. Well, he did come up with the original idea for Inception around that time he was doing Memento. Yeah, it makes so, sense. It seems yeah. like a sort of you know. I think it's the it's it, Inception is the evolution of Memento. I think it's the, right. It's a bigger take on that kind of idea. Because you still have a guy with his wife's death and mm-hmm. his memories of it being fractured and, you know, trying to figure out, you know, things about that. It's it's more of a mystery and sort of mm-hmm. a film noir kind of movie. And I have to admit, for me, that's more what I like to watch than, than Inception. So mm-hmm. I, I'm just inherently kind of more into that kind of stuff. But uh, uh, I, think, I think Memento struck me as a bit gimmicky the second time I watched it. But... Uh, uh, I, I do feel the need to go back and see it again because it's been a long time. Yeah. I, yeah, Memento I, I think I think uh, I think no no one has just surprised me. I based on what happened, you know, based on the the way I found out about him from Memento, I uh, I wouldn't have guessed that uh, he'd end up where he is now. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I personally I liked Inception better than Avatar. Uh, I uh, I really liked uh, I really liked uh, Terminator 2 and uh, even uh, The Abyss and uh, the original Terminator and even Titanic was pretty good. Um, but uh, yeah, Avatar Avatar probably has better visuals, but I, I found the story of Inception much more compelling. Uh, I would agree a hundred percent. So I I think you know. That's I, I don't know. I feel like Cameron really wanted to show off his visuals, and he does that. But mm-hmm. you know, for me, I'd rather have a story than visuals. So I, I think yeah. you know, Inception has visuals, but uh, not not as many, and it has a lot of story. Yeah. Uh, so so I think uh, it just it just delivers in the areas that I'm I'm more into. You know. I definitely like Inception more than Avatar. Is great of an experience it was to see that in 3D and all that stuff. Whatever, it was you know it's a good it, it was a really well done movie too. But uh, Inception to me is so much better. But again, yeah, more in uh, like I said before, you know, sort of. The, I think the big difference between our ratings of the film is is the subject matter and stuff like that and personal things like, you know, right. uh, what I like about the writing and the filmmaking aspects of it. But, um, yeah, yeah I, I think Inception is definitely better than Avatar. Right. I guess, I guess I'll guess i say, like, I like the – what is it that I like? I like the plotting. I like the story, and I like the idea behind the story. 
and I like some of the character stuff. I don't love the characters, and mm-hmm. I didn't love the dialogue. You know, I, I that that's a part of the writing that I didn't find amazing. You know, mm-hmm. so I think that's that is, maybe that's the only place where I. I think I think we both agree it's a good movie, but yeah, we have different tastes to a certain extent, and you know, my tastes are just a little bit yeah, good removed taste, from bad this. taste. What? Good taste, bad taste. <laughs> oh, ouch! Which one's which? You'll never know. <laughs> well, thanks for listening to the Lost uh, to the, not Lost Lowdown, yeah, <laughs> the podcast. Ah, where are we? Forgot what we we're doing here. What's Jack up to? <laughs> what about that lock character? <laughs> I, have, um, yeah, I mean, I think it's weird. This this movie did have like it did remind me of Lost in certain ways. Mm-hmm. There there were certain elements where I was like, that's that's there's something Lost esque about that. You know, um, and it includes a flight from Sydney to L.A. Yeah, they totally did that. Oh wait, they did. Uh... Oh, was it Sydney to LA? I think so. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was thinking they were in Tokyo. That was enough part of the. Well, they were yeah, in I Tokyo, it, but I think yeah. yeah, I think it was Sydney to LA. The yeah. I remember hearing that in the movie, going lost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think you know dreams like manifestations of dead people that you lost. Mm-hmm. Um. And, you know, the guy who impersonates other people and even, like, making constructs, like, to deal with your problems. Like, there's there's a number of things that make some kind of glancing, you know, similarity with Lost. Well, I know Damon loved it. He did. And I, I think, you know, it has that Lost quality that, you know, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah. Is there? <laughs> Three hours and 15 minutes into the podcast? <laughs> I think so. I'm going to say yes. Well, you're crazy, then. You're crazy. <laughs> cool. So, well, uh... Yeah, I think so that I think that's, a, I think that's a two thumbs up. Two thumbs up. One thumb from each of us. Uh, I I recommend it. I, honestly, like I haven't seen a lot of movies this year. I don't know what's good lately, but it's it's the best movie I've seen in the theaters uh, uh, probably since. Oh man, what was the last good movie? Uh, Inglorious Bastards or something? Mm-hmm. I think that was last okay. summer. Okay. <laughs> that's probably that's the only movie I can think of that I've seen recently that I think maybe I liked a little better. But mm-hmm. it's uh, I, I you know I can't say I've seen any in a while. And really, unfortunately, that's just a commentary on I haven't seen a lot of good movies in a while. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I I would say this is the best movie I've seen this year, and I've seen quite a bit. The only other movie that I think has gotten unanimous or mostly unanimous high praise uh, is Toy Story 3, which I have not seen. Um, oh, I can't oh. imagine. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, and then um, the last I, the last good movie I think that competes with Inception to me, Inglourious Bastards is on that list. Uh, Synecdoche, New York is probably ah. the last best movie I've seen. Oh, Synecdoche, yes. <laughs> oh, that's a that's a handful of a movie. Yep. Um, 
Oh, and uh, Coen Brothers, A Serious Man. Uh, no, I still I, haven't seen that. I think that came out in December. You should see it. It's very good. It's the very best good. movie you've ever seen? Uh, not the best All movie right. I've ever seen. I'm going in thinking it's the best movie ever. I, I'm going to raise my expectations really high. Please don't. Best movie ever. You just said it. No, no. I'll even say this. It's, uh, it's for me, not as good as No Country either. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but it is very good. And I would say... I would say that I probably like it a tad better than Inception. I would probably give it like an eight. Okay. Uh, but not a lot. I mean, it's it's good in very different ways. Yeah. From from this, you know, it doesn't. It's not an intricate movie at all. But uh, but it is very good. Uh, I do recommend it. That's probably maybe that's the last good movie I saw in the theaters. That was like December. The Serious Man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that because that was after Inglourious Bastards. I I uh, I forgot about that one. All right. Well, thanks for listening, guys uh, and girls. Um, I always feel the need to do that. Yeah. Well, when <laughs> I when guys. I say "What's up, guys," uh, I'm using "guys" in the uh, unisex sense. Yeah, it's a very unisex word, but I sometimes say it and feel the need. I'm specifically not saying girls or women or yeah. ladies or dames. If there's any dames listening, <laughs> Bro. I know Judy. I know Judy Dench is a is a is a big fan of ours. So. Oh yes, <laughs> she is. Yeah, she's right after Vicky H. Right after Vicky H. <laughs> Judy Dench. So, um, cool. Well, thanks for listening to our Inception podcast. Hopefully, um, uh, it was interesting, and uh, we incepted something into your mind. <laughs> Can I say that? Is that too corny? No, why not? Uh, we are inceptors. We are inceptors. <laughs> yeah, let's make it worse. Um, <laughs> so, thanks, and uh, yeah, we'll see you next oh, time. Oh, wow, I thought you were going to leave it ambiguous. <laughs> <laughs> like the movie. Exactly, I was going to be thanks, and and then... And may the top keep spinning. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. All right. Well, see you guys later.